Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by Spotify, which has the best listening experience around right now. You can change your speeds to as tight as 1.2. If you're not quite a 1.5 person, but you, you want to go more than one, I recommend 1.2. You can check out all of their great charts that measure podcasts from hottest trending to biggest to by genre, whatever you want. Check out podcast on Spotify. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. We're also brought to you by FanDuel, where we have the Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest. There's a FanDuel contest every day. There are playoff games. $5 entry fee per contest. If you win, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA Finals, where all the winners will compete for a share of 50 k cash ringer swag. And to be deemed the sole survivor of the Ultimate Hoops Ringer, there's still time to enter a contest for a chance to get into the leaderboard series during the finals. What are you waiting for? Learn more. Enter at fanduel.com slash hoops ringer age and location restrictions do apply. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the ringer podcast network. I put up a, a special rerun podcast over the weekend when Chadwick Boseman died. We had him on uh, on my podcast in November. He was really great. I really had a good time with him and, and he was so obviously such a good guy. Um, shocking news. Just such a bummer. It was amazing to see the huge outpouring from everybody the last two days. Sometimes you don't realize how special somebody is until um, all of a sudden they're gone. But you, you could definitely feel that over the weekend. Such a unique, talented actor. Anyway, if you missed it, we had an awesome conversation. You can go check that out in the archives. New rewatchables coming um, on Monday as well. So stay tuned for that. Coming up, Russell and I are going to go through the Hoops weekend. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, it is 8.20 Pacific time. Just saw another incredible Jamal Murray-Donovan Mitchell shootout. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about which team matches up with the Clips the best. And we're going to talk about the last 72-plus hours with the NBA a little bit. Ryan Rossillo is here. You texted me, I need to be hosed down after that Murray versus Mitchell battle. Most, my friend Hench texted me, um, has there been a more insane shot-making duel like that over the course of two weeks than these two guys have been having. I'm kind of hard pressed to think of any other example ever. Or you mean recently? I thought you were going to go Dominique bird. Even though it was one game. No, this is insane. This is, I, I, <laughs> I worry, go ahead. You start and then I'll, I'll jump in later. Cause I I'm too, I'm afraid I'm going to go for five minutes on. Murray. <laughs> well, I, I'll just be honest. I wagered on Utah tonight. The theory being Mitchell can, or Murray can't do that again. He had 50 at 42. What, what is he going to have three straight 40 point games? Like nobody's done that. That's like Iverson 2001 territory. And then of course, Murray puts up 50. I don't know what Utah was doing defensively. I have no explanation for it. I don't know why they just weren't trapping him and trying to get the ball out of his hands. Anything at one point near the end there, Jordan Clarkson was just on an island against him. You can guess how it turned out. But Denver made all the adjustments in this series. They kind of subtly figured out how to shift their offense more toward Murray, less toward Jokic. So then when it doesn't work out for Murray, they have Jokic as the second option, which is bonkers because I voted him for third for MVP. And this series that I thought was over after four games, 
now looks like not only does Denver have all the momentum, I don't really know what you do if you're Utah because you only have seven guys. Two of them are very good. Connolly, you can't hide defensively for whatever reason. I, what, what do you do if you're them? How do you fix this for a game seven? Well, you have to hope this guy starts missing shots. I mean, we can, we can sit here and talk about adjustments. First of all, a couple things here. Um, Murray in his last three games, 50 points, 11 boards, 7 assists, 9 of 15 from 3. Game 5, 42, 8 and 8, 4, 8 from 3. That's 17 to 26 overall. And then game 6, we just saw a 50-point game from him again. 5 boards, 6 assists, 9 of 12 from 3. And that was after game 1. We actually thought Denver was going to be the problem because Mitchell puts up 57, but Murray closed that game out. Murray yep. was the unstoppable one. So if we want to talk adjustments, which everyone will talk about, but I don't believe the adjustments are always there, especially when it's something like this. Like what we just saw was this special. So if a guy's never going to miss, I don't know what you're supposed to do, especially when it's the two-man game, which I think is incredibly predictable over the years and kind of help has led to me having like limitations on my expectations for Denver, which I think are totally justifiable because we're going to dig into who Murray has been because this is not who he's been. He's never been this. This is insane. So if you have a two-man game where Murray, and you're right, has had more usage now, they've flipped it between he and Jokic, you can't keep two with the shooter because you're actually leaving a guy like Jokic. And then, by the way, who's who's an unbelievable passer in yeah. like a three-on-two hockey situation. Exactly. So if you're leaving him to make a decision, like think of all the other times we've seen four-on-three, you have one of the biggest, uh, best decision makers, great passers, and a really reliable shooter. There was even that play, which was a classic, like, hey, how come they don't just switch back out of bad switches? Conley tried to do that with Gobert, left Jokic wide open for a second, boom, three, no problem. But... Utah's, you know, I know what's going to happen is everybody's going to say, oh, you got to double him, you got to double him, you got to double him. You know what? Mark Jackson brought it up in the Clippers game against Dallas when Kawhi was destroying Dallas. And you go, you got to double him, you got to double him. They brought a double, immediately a pass dunk, no contest. So these guys are not that easy to double. So say you want to trap Murray, okay, fine. But then just like you said, it gets back to Jokic four on three. And then the only thing I saw Utah do was they switched Jokic defender so it would be a wing. So like at least now it's not Gobert having to chase this guy around this huge screen. And that didn't work because, look, when you're not going to miss – there's not really much you can do. And on top of that, throw in Jeremy Grant, 18 points, four or seven well, from three. If Murray's not going to miss and Grant's getting you 18 and burying four threes, you're going to lose. Well, I would have left Porter open and just doubled with his guy or trapped or anything. Mm -hmm. Once Murray, it's funny. He's like when, when, when my son has too much sugar <laughs> and he just gets this look in his eyes and you're like, oh my God. And you just kind of know what the next half hour is going to be like. Murray's one of those basketball players. He gets that look and you're like, oh no. And especially if you're betting against him or rooting against him, there hits a point with him where you're just like, oh, this is it. And he was very Jekyll and Hyde over the first three years of his career. Cause last year in the playoffs, he did this a couple of times. And you're like, wow, man, imagine if you did that more often. Now he's 23. He's rounding into maybe this is who he's going to be. And what he's looked like in this series is a cross between Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. Honestly. If you're gonna, if they're gonna have a baby, it would be Jamal Murray in the series. I had said something after Game One. I go, you know, Murray, look out if he's this. And then, you know, look, none of this is new. It's it's all the fan bases, but it's like, oh, he's always been this bullshit. No. He's been this. No, I mean, like you just said, a year ago, Game Three against the Spurs in in a game in a playoff game, he had six points, but he was only two of six. How does the guy who just dropped fifty one year ago? I get getting older and more experienced. That dude only took six shots in a playoff game, and then in Portland, game two, he was six of eighteen. Game seven, he was four of eighteen. How about he the first? How about three. games two and three of this series? 
He was MIA in those. That was that was the rap on Murray. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a week ago. He had 14 and 12, and now he's turned into, uh, I guess, Lillard, at least from the production standpoint. But well, this is nuts. Here's the weird thing about Murray. And, and there's a misconception about like how good of a three-point shooter he is because the game's like the last three. But, you know, for his career, in 2019, 36.7% from three. This season, 2020, 34.6% from three. And then you go in the playoffs last year was 33.7% from three. This year, he was 52.4 going into the game. So now he's got to be like 55%. It's a breakout party. It's what it is. And I think we all thought he had the talent. I just didn't think he'd ever be able to do it consistently. I didn't think he'd be this, man. Something fell into place in his brain with with just his control of the game and just we've seen it happen. It's happened in the past with other guys. I, I just didn't expect it would be him in the series. I thought the series was over after game four. Well, it looked like it was over because Mitchell was reminding us of what his ceiling is and he was nuts again. I mean, they were combined the Mitch and Murray series. Are we going to start calling yeah. this Glenn Gary? Glenn? No, I do think it'll be a, you know, we have these series every once in a while where it's like arenas versus LeBron and you have those kind of moments, right? Yeah. These shootout yeah. series. This this turned out to be the star of round one, this series. And then if you're Denver, like Jarks and I, we did a podcast before game five. Um, we we're just talking about, you know, could Denver move Murray for Ben Simmons? Like, would you do that? Is it what's Murray's value? And I was kinda kinda like the fit with Murray and Jokic. Um now, the way he's playing now, you're thinking, well, no matter what happens in game seven, I think he's an untouchable now. And Jokic is an untouchable. And now Porter is the great X factor. The thing today, Porter sucked in that game. He was sucked. rebounding. That's it. And I just think the more I watch this Utah team, especially the last two games, they just don't have enough guys. And you could really feel it today. It's so hard for them, other than Mitchell, to just get consistent offense from people. Conley, ugh. Gobert, who really seems like he wants the ball more. There's there's moments where they they were they were trapping Mitchell 25 feet and Gobert's coming out, like, give it to me, I'll do something. It's like, no, 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 what are you doing? Um, I don't know what the answer is for them, unless it's like a Jordan Clarkson heat check, which they were kind of hoping for tonight. He couldn't give it to him. So when they won all the games when it looked like this thing was over, they were playing like the highest level of basketball I think I've seen them play all year long. And yep. you're sitting there looking at Denver going, okay, you hold off Mitchell and now you're playing Utah's like three perfect games. Gobert had what, almost 20 in the half of one of the games. And it looked like Jokic was just stuck because the perimeter defenders are not very good for Denver other than maybe Torrey Craig, but now they have Gary Harris back and you're thinking, all right, Jokic. I mean, every, every lob to Gobert isn't always Jokic's fault. I mean, he was screwing up some of his coverage on some of it, but then you're thinking, wow, like Gobert, who at times, you know, just like, I always try to bring up these game-to-game situations where it looked like he was a major problem for them and Denver had no answers. And uh, just because this has happened, it doesn't mean now there's no way that that Utah can win game seven. But Conley didn't they miss can. any shots. Ingles had some amazing playmaking games in there. Mitchell was perfect. But the problem, as as Mitchell starts to bail on everyone around him, you can see them revert back to that one dimension. And I don't right. really blame Ingles had him. five points in that game. Yeah, I don't blame him for not wanting to kick it out to Niang for a three Oof. late in the game. But um, 
Yeah, I well, mean, look, Utah's just. I, look, I don't. I, I don't really have a real in depth. Like, I don't want to hear a seven page synopsis or, or a breakdown of what happened here because when Murray's going to do this to you, I don't really know that there's a lot of answers. Denver did. I didn't think Mike Malone had a very good first four games. The most important thing he did, especially like in today's game, where he he basically stripped down the Millsap minutes and just went more athletic and put the ball in Murray's hands and played him more. I mean, Murray played forty three minutes in that game. But, you know, I was thinking big picture that this series now is a memorable series and we'll, you know, we'll always remember like, oh, what was the best series of first round that year? It was this one. It is crazy. Both of these guys were guys in the draft that some people loved, other people weren't sure about. And when they got drafted, it seemed a little too late in each case. Because I remember the Celtics were picking between Jalen Brown and uh, Murray at three, right? And I, I think it was a real battle internally about which way to go. They went with Brown, but then Bender went fourth to Phoenix. Chris Dunn fifth to Minnesota. Buddy Heald went sixth to New Orleans. And Murray fell to seven to Denver. And then you go uh, one year later, the Mitchell draft, where marketing goes seven. I, I, the draft makes sense until after seven. Uh, Nidalinka goes eight to the Knicks. Dennis Smith, Smith nine to Dallas. Zach Collins, 10th. Malik Monk, 11th, Luke Kennard, 12th, and then Mitchell and Adebayo go back to back 13, 14. But you think like, I do wonder if the chip on the shoulder thing does help with some of these guys, right? When you go the four to six picks a little too late, sometimes it's the best thing that can happen to you. Not that that's the main reason these guys are so great, but it's almost better to go 13th than second, you know? Yeah, it might be better too because of the team that you land on. Although, you know, True. going to Detroit, doesn't exactly, um, I don't know, it's probably more of a canard problem than it is a Detroit problem. I continue to be just amazed at the shot making. Me the too. level, the acceptable shot. And it's something I brought up with this year's draft class where I go, all these guys think they can shoot and they a lot of them can't, but they're still taking the shot because the grownups are taking these shots. But to think you can come off these screens and pull up from 25, 28 feet, and you're like, I'm good. I mean, there's too many possessions. There's too many people now taking bad threes because everybody's taking threes. But the special players, like these shots were just, a coach would have yelled at you about these shots. I don't know, 10 years ago? What and, about the one when Murray, they got the steal and he just pulled up from 28 with like four minutes left? It wasn't even a fast break. There's nobody under the basket. And it's like 10 years ago, somebody would have had a heart attack. Yeah, I mean, there's too many guys giving up layups. Like, I don't know if Oklahoma City's primary offense now is drive, get a good look at a layup, kick it to Dort in the corner for three. I still can't believe Lou Dort took nine shots in the first quarter of a playoff game. We're covering I know, that I know, later. I know, I know. Um, but despite the three-point dispersal that we've seen from some guys, you're like, why, why are you taking this shot? On the high end of it, I mean, this the top of this league is so talented. It's so deep. I mean, if I were doing radio the next day and you go, oh man, you can't take Mitchell over Murray now. I mean, that'd be the mistake, but this is somebody who's never scored 20 points a game for a season. You pointed it out. His career three-point numbers are good. They're not off the charts. He was 34% this year, and now he's had a week plus where 
I mean, I look, I'm, I'm not putting him in my top 10 because that's insane. He hasn't proven that. It's, not, it's just not who he is. So that's not even accurate. I shouldn't even discuss it. He is a guy but, who's better in the playoffs than the regular season from what we've seen. Or at least like he's... I don't even know if that's true, though. I mean, it well, is he's now. I liked him last year. I thought he had some big games. I mean, he was up and down, but he certainly, you know, rose to the occasion in ways that we didn't expect last year. And now he's made another leap again. I Part of it is he's not great defensively. Neither is Mitchell. Yeah. And, um, you know, these guys are great offensive players. I don't know if the all around tag could really stick to them, but if I also think Murray's handles a little tighter, maybe it's yeah. just watching them closer and closer. But if you can shoot like that, but also survive in traffic with your handle, it just opens up so many other things for you. The shot making thing. You think like these are the kids of the, the Curry generation, right? 2014. 13 and 14, those Warriors teams. So you're talking seven years ago. Mitchell and Murray are both 16. And they're in AAU and in high school, and they're they're rounding into who they're going to be. But now there's this whole evolution of basketball coming. And that's probably the cutoff for if you're like 16, you're like, oh, man, maybe I'll just shoot from there. You know, there's this liberation. <laughs> so now you have what we're seeing now. I didn't think Mitchell was going to be to shoot the threes like that. Can I ask you? If you're the Clippers after watching these first six games, who would you rather play in round two? Because I would have said I'd much rather play Denver up until three days ago. But after game five, game six, I don't think I'd want any part of this Denver team. I think their ceiling is higher than the Utah team. Denver's so hit or miss, though. And, and I'm not going to fall victim to this right now because you know before the series... We were all kind of collectively down on Utah, right? No Bogdanovich. I'm not, I'm not high on either team. I'm just saying if I'm the Clippers, who would you rather play? Yeah, but you would have. there's no way you would have said this five days ago. Zero. Yeah, because I didn't know Jamal Murray was <laughs> fucking cross between Curry and Dame Lillard. This is new information. Uh, he, he just had 50, 42, and 50 in back-to-back games. My, my opinion has changed. Yeah, I think I'd rather deal with Gobert than Nurkic. Or excuse me, not Nurkic, Jokic. So yeah, I would rather, rather Utah. I just think Utah's depth, you know, they it looked like they were going to be able to patch it together. But you look at this game. Niang played 20 minutes. He was terrible. He was minus 19 in 20 minutes. Uh, Clarkson, 30 minutes. And then Morgan played two minutes and Bradley played five minutes. So they basically played seven guys. I don't think you can do that against the Clips. Look at the wings, too. So Utah's problem is Royce O'Neal has to chase Murray around the entire night. You can't take a break. Yeah. You can't put Ingles on him. You can't put Mitchell on him. I mean, Mitchell got him in this kind of confusing, chaotic. Not, it wasn't even really a switch. It was just loose ball. I mean, Murray went right by him to a strong hand, and he went away from the pick, and he went around Murray. But then, you know, he beats Murray, or excuse me, Murray beats Mitchell, and then you're thinking, oh, he got him. And then... I think O'Neal or somebody recovered and contested and he hit like a sideways floater and you just go, well, all right, well, what are you supposed to do there? If you're the Clippers, you'd rather play Utah because of the lack of depth. Cause what are you going to do with the wings? If you're Utah, Mitchell's going to have, it's to an all time wing mismatch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. So you'd rather De- play that. Hey, by the way, Denver also a good matchup to them. Cause they have a lot of dudes to throw at Murray. You know, they got Beverly, they got Reggie Jackson. They could, if they wanted to mess around to throw Kawhi and George on them. And then they have Marcus Morris to do at least one cheap shot and get him in trouble, get a double tech situation or whatever. Are we but, doing anything on Morris? 
No, I, I think his behavior spoke for itself during the uh, during round one. I think he's trying to set the tone. I think he's I think he's positioned himself as I'm the tough guy on this team, and I'm going to do tough guy Marcus Morris stuff. Uh, yeah, you also with Gary Harris back too. Um, at least defensively, there's options there. There's Grant. There's Harris um, going against the Clips. You mean? Yeah, I mean Clips are better. I, Clips are better than both of these teams. I think this worked out great yes. for the Clips. The Dallas series, as we're going to talk about a little bit, they get a bunch of fortuitous things happen in that. And then this series, these are two round one teams, in my opinion, as great as the Murray thing has been. Um, but yeah, it's when you think like we still weren't sure about Murray really in any way a week ago. He's the, he's the winner of the round one breakout star, I think. We say over Luca? we did this over who? Over Luca? Well, Luca was already a star. I, I, round one always has that one guy who's like, whoa, this guy. And I think he's that guy this year. So not Karis Levert? Nah, can't give it to Karis. Can't give it to uh, Semi Ojale. Any of that stuff. Um, quickly, let's talk about um, just the last three and a half days because I thought the players got a lot of good stuff done. I mean, some of the stuff they got with the arenas and the voting and you think like, on Wednesday, it seemed, you know, everything was happening so fast and they're throwing stuff out and you weren't really sure, like, all right, what's their strategy? They didn't really have time to come up with a strategy. But over the course of two days, when they decided to stay in the bubble and really push for some stuff, it did seem like some really good stuff happened. I thought they did a good job on the jump on Saturday. Paul Pierce was on with um, Matt Barnes, Rachel Nichols, talking about, like, there was some meaningful progress that the NBA spearheaded there since Wednesday. And, uh, I don't know though. Part of the reason to going down in the bubble was to use the platform, use your voices, um, try to get shit done. And it, it feels like that happened for the most part. Yeah. As I said on my pod this week, I mean, if the players to the point that they didn't want to play, then I support the players, you know, I wasn't going to sit there and say, Hey, I love Me basketball. Too. You guys, Need to start. I never felt that way. I mean, like a lot of people, Wednesday, wherever you were, all right, let's go. And then you're like, oh, something's going on here. I did think, by the way, everything you said is right. I mean, to be able to use these arenas, um, to, and they should be able to use these arenas. You know, the public gets screwed on these. These deals are always bad for the public all the time. Mm. And they're they're sold this bill of goods and all the things that they're going to do, and a lot of it is kind of hard to confirm and, and these guys even though i'll argue sometimes not every owner just because it says on paper has that much liquid to be able to pull off some of these moves they always get hooked up because this inferiority complex that you have in the cities and never wanting to lose a franchise so yeah i'm glad that the players um you know it's it's pretty powerful when you realize like hey we can actually get some shit done here if we don't want to go and play i do think there's another part of this that i thought was just interesting in that if you have four or five buddies and you want to say hey do you want what do you want to do tonight there's no way you're all going to be on the same page and to have hundreds of players and then staff, but it was really about the players, not all on the same page that first night in that first meeting that it was apparently really heated. I don't think any of that should be that surprising. And I don't think it actually should be seen as a negative. Like part of me at first was like, wait, well, you guys can't like, what are you like? What exactly is the plan? And then it was like, well, look, Milwaukee decided to do something because it meant something to Milwaukee because it was close to them. And that's cool that Milwaukee, like Milwaukee couldn't, 
go ahead and make sure everybody else is on the same page. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a committee. And now they made the decision. They made it immediately. And they decided to go out there and play. And I guess a lot of people from some of the stuff I heard were upset on Wednesday, but they slept on it. They talked it out a little bit more. They got some stuff done. But I think the plan was always that they were going to come back and play where there were just a million different stories going in a bunch of different places. Like I went back and read all the stuff and I'm going, the timeline of it was, was all over the place. But I think real things happen here, despite the fact that sometimes I think there's a push for change that isn't realistic given the amount of time. You know, there's sometimes you're like, okay, this can happen. Some of these decisions can be made by owners, but some of the other policy stuff, like you understand that this isn't going to happen overnight. I was amazed. I, I was I was fascinated by the ballroom on Wednesday night, just how unmanageable it is just from getting opinions from different people. Because I was asking, like, how many people do you think were in there? And it seemed like before they the coaches left, because I guess the coaches left maybe a third of the way in or Well, they were told them to get out of there, right? Yeah, they told them to leave. There was like 250 people in there. So think about how big that is. Because I've been in meetings, like I've had all hands meetings for The Ringer, for my TV show or whatever, where you have like, I don't know, 50 people, 70 people crammed in a room. And it's it's really hard for like everybody to have a voice. Everybody is, sometimes you have to pass a mic around. 250 people is the size of like a big wedding. Like that's like, think about like you're at a wedding and the best man is giving a speech and you got it and how big like the room is and you got it. Hey, everybody quiet down, quiet down. Tony's going to speak. And just to have a to open discussion with that many people, I, I, I can't even imagine they even had mics, but supposedly it was like Chris Paul and Iguodala were leading it. And then a couple other people were in, but I don't even know how they pulled off just being able to make as much progress as they did on Wednesday night. I, I honestly didn't read enough about it. I would have read more stories. Yeah, because some of it was was like all over the place, right? Like yeah. there were the Pat Beverly stuff with Michelle Roberts came out and he basically just went at her and was like, I pay your salary and he was interrupting her. And then people were saying, no, that's definitely not what happened. But then it was like Zubach was one of the guys that said it didn't happen. It was like, well, did he do that? Because it was his teammate. Look, something happened. All right. I was told right. something happened. But the way it was told to me was you have to understand this is a room of 200 plus millionaires, sometimes 100 times over. And they're the best in the world at what they do. And there's going to be. Uh, a confidence in your position because totally. your whole life, like that's kind of what's led you to this point. You've been the man throughout your entire life and whatever your status is in the NBA, once you're in that room, I can't imagine how difficult it was to try to figure it out. But I, I, the other part that always, I think like just because we'll get quotes and this happened before the bubble was even announced and this thing was going to happen. If you want, we can get quotes from somebody saying, I don't want to go back and play. Now's not the time. And then it starts to shape the story. And we'll quickly forget that there's usually like another couple hundred guys that actually want to keep playing the season. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that everything that's going on isn't impacting them. Jamal Murray was in tears after a 50-point game because of everything that he's gone through. But right. he clearly wanted to be out there and play. So I think you can be emotionally drained but still want to be in the bubble. And I felt like at times we'll get quotes that are released from somebody that doesn't want to be there or is questioning the entire thing when we'll actually ignore the majority of players. And this is twice now, because when the bubble thing was happening, remember you and I were talking, I go, wait, am I reading this wrong? Is all my information bad? Do most of the players not want to actually restart the season? 
wow, that's weird. And then the vote comes in, and it was a landslide by the players to come back and play. Let me ask you a question, though. Do you think there will be, I don't know if the bright way to say it is a bill due, but do you think there will be some pushback from the owners down the line in that ultimately it's still an employer-employee relationship and this is going to be factored in to some of the CBA stuff? Like, I just wonder if there's a day coming where there'll be some resentment from 30 billionaires that go, I understand why, because of what happened, why you stopped playing, but we're also still the ones in charge. I just wonder, because I mean, publicly, we all know the, 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 the players are fully supported here for the most part. It's just something that crossed my mind. So I don't know. I'm asking you. I think they'll get through the next couple months because they all know how important it is and so many good things are happening. But it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? At some point, um, especially if the fans can't come back next season right away, these guys are going to turn into businessmen. And I think that's why one of the reasons it's so important for the players to get as much as they can out of this situation right now, which they very smartly and to their credit have pulled off. Um, And it, it was hard to there were so many conflicting reports about, especially from that Wednesday, but there was some generational stuff going on too, you know? And I thought Stephen A, when he talked on first take about LeBron, that I'd heard the same stuff that when LeBron spoke on that Wednesday night, like some of the younger players felt like he was condescending, you know? And you think like, so when you're just talking about other factors beyond the the stuff that everybody's talked about, you're talking about this owner player relationship that they can pretend everything's good, but at some point they're going to have to figure out the CBA and it's going to become a leverage battle. We're not there yet, but it's looming. And then this generational thing where you have, you know, the Giannis generation, this new generation, Giannis, by the way, the best player in the box, the team that boycotted the game and started the whole thing and how the generational thing plays out. Because I always feel like the best players control the league. Um, it's usually the veterans. That's, I think, the main reason why we're in the bubble in the first place because of Chris Paul and LeBron and people like that. But the generational side of it did come out a little bit in a way that is, I thought was healthy ultimately on Wednesday night. I'm glad, I'm glad they, uh, I'm glad they slept on it because it did seem like from all accounts, it was getting a little tense and it did have something to do with the generational stuff. I mean, the LeBron part too is fascinating because it was reported that he didn't say a word. And then it's like, well, no, that's not what happened because apparently, as you're saying, and heard the same things that he pissed some dudes off in there. But that I think is the whole point. Like, think of any group of people, anybody, you know, your electric union, 200 people at a wedding, like you just said. I don't care who you are. It's not going not, seamlessly. You're, you're not all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. You just aren't. So when you heard these stories about, arguments or people being on different pages i didn't really look at it as like oh it's a negative like these guys can't figure it out i'd expect a room of that many people to not be able to figure it out and the fact that you know look i I still think the guys wanted to play and that's why after a few days removed from it getting some things that they wanted getting people on the phone that they felt like were being sincere uh they got something done because i'll tell you i don't know 10 years ago i don't know how the story would be covered I would have never thought it could have happened when we were hearing the rumors at the beginning of the week, like, oh, they may, the players may end up boycotting some games. I'm like, wait, 
what is that going to happen? And I just, well, you know, the, the Celtics and Raptors, they met. And what's interesting is Celtics, Raptors and Bucks, I think are all in the same hotel and the Celtics and Raptors met about, about possibly boycotting game one. And I think the Bucks were thinking about it as well. And, and, you know, that's the other crazy piece of this is all of these people are in the same place. So you're having meetings and interactions that just could never happen in any other situation. You're, ne you're never going to have all these teams in one place. I think everything about it, everything about this week feels historic to me. Yeah. That, um, no, this is, this is like a new precedent of what we are willing to believe can happen in sports. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm, like I'm saying 10 years ago, I, I would be like, I don't even think players would players even say, Hey, let's just stop playing games. I don't know. Well, if that, that would have ever the, happened. The Bucks were totally happy forfeiting that game. That's what they it were going to do. Was that was their forfeit. Plan. Right. Yeah. They were going to forfeit and it was going to be three, two. And they're like, we're good. Cause they Moving were like, on. well, wait, we didn't want the rest of you guys to shut down and everything. But then the other players, I think some of the, the arguments were, well, when you guys do that, then we can't go out and play whatever. I mean, none of it really matters. And by the way, I know historically Bill Russell and the boycotts. And, yeah. And there's been a lot players, of it. Look, there's that kind of stuff that's happened before. So I don't want to act like it's never, ever happened, but I'm just saying at least in recent memory, um, it's something that. I don't know. When I first heard the rumors at the beginning of the week, I wasn't 100% sure if I, I believed it was something that would actually happen. And, and then there you go. Awesome. Awesome uh, response by everybody. Really cool week for the league. And um, I don't know. They made a difference, which was the whole reason they were down there. Can, so I add maybe to that? Can I add to that real quick, though? Because the announcers keep saying these guys are so removed, they may not realize what they're doing and how it's resonating. It's like, you know, they have internet. Yeah, they definitely I'm, know. I'm pretty sure they're all aware of everything that's going on in social media, especially a group of guys this young. Like right. I, I, I'd be shocked if they didn't know how big of a deal this has been the last couple of days. All right, we're going to talk about the rest of the playoffs in one second, taking a quick break. Hey, if you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started, it can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping and get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, no commitments. Cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash Bill to try out a three-month supply of nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor. Your first order is just $5. Once again, GetRoman.com slash Bill. Eligibility requirements and additional terms do apply. All right, so our guy Luca got knocked out. And, you know, I heard them talking on the telecast about it. And then there's been some stuff online about moves they're going to make this summer. And you got to get a couple more playoff guys in there and they're close, stuff like that. Here's the problem. They don't have any cap room. No. Seems important. They're yeah. at 110.9 million on the cap for next year. And that's not including like holds, draft picks, stuff like that. They have Porzingis and Hardaway. Just those two guys are at 48 million next year. And before before we get to what you would do if you're in Dallas, my first question to you is 2020 the last year this decade that Luca gets knocked out in a round one. 
if he's really this special, top five, potentially top three, then I've always thought those guys can win a series, at least in the first round on their own. But the Brzingis thing is a real problem because I, I think by the end of the year, we always felt pretty good about him with Luca. Would you agree? I felt like that was their upgrade move if they wanted to get frisky. Because if I was building a team around Luca, I would want to build a team that looked like the the Celtics, where you just have disposable big guys, but you put your money on the wings. People like Jalen Brown type guys. Those would be the guys I would want to put with Luca. I would Porzingis wouldn't be my first choice. No, but considering what they gave up and Porzingis is that, that trade's point, a no brainer. Yeah, discount right. But now that we have another leg injury for Porzingis, which is significant. I mean, MCL is not the end of the world, but it's not a strain. And it's the uh, other it's the other leg too, which is a concern. Um, so, yeah, and, it, and you know, tall guys. We've talked about guys. this many times. They're getting they, too you tall. Go, you go seven two and up. Just weird shit starts happening. Wait, like, what are like the total so the durability success stories other than Kareem? Once you get like above seven two, it always seems like you know Augustus Smiths, um, Porzingis, like those kind of the Embiid. You seven two and up. I just get a little nervous. So I don't think they would trade Porzingis, but I I do think I do think he would have value. I do think you'd be you'd be selling relatively high, and I do think there's teams out there like for instance, if they called uh called the Wizards and just said Porzingis for Bradley Beal, let's call it in. Who says no? Wizards now, um. Because Przingis, because of everything we just said, injury, propensity for injuries at that size. I mean, hell, I remember when Durant was going to be a free agent. I had people that said they have they have doctors that like just don't trust that his feet are going to stay healthy. And you're like, okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. But look, he's he won like two rings after that. So it's not like it hasn't worked out. But it's also not like he's been incredibly healthy the entire time, too. Um, and again, not to say that Przingis is even in the same neighborhood as, uh, as KD. But Przingis is $36 million in three years. Oof. So. That's probably why it's a no from a lot of teams. So I, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible to say Luca doesn't get out of the first round next year. But um, I don't know. He he was unbelievable. I mean, he was 30, 10, and 8 on 49 and 34% shooting in a series against team a team with a lot of really good wing defenders. And he, he worked them all without... I mean, think about who his number two options were once Przingis went down and then got ejected in game one. And Luca still put up those kinds of numbers. Yeah, if I'm Dallas, I'm probably not panicking because I look at this series and I think of this is this series that went as wrong as it possibly could have from the ejection to Luca getting hurt to then Porzingis gets hurt. And you're just like, man, if we do this series 20 times, is there a version where we're throwing some haymakers and this is going to a game seven and going deep, stuff like that? I guess with with the Porzingis thing, I think you would have to run it back. But I would call some of the dumb teams, right? I think you have to kick the tires on Beal just to make sure they're not going to trade him. Go to Sacramento. Sacramento's always willing to do something weird, right? Little little healed Bagley? For Przingis? He yeah. He would do it in a second right now. Who would who would do it? Sacramento or Dallas? Dallas. And would I like Sacramento Przingis. do that? Well, any question that starts with Will Sacramento... <laughs> 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 I mean, so I just, I'll just say yes, right? Go well, my it. answer, my answer to Luca question is: This is the last time this decade he gets knocked out of a round one. I think he's too. How good. can you be that certain? 
because just, I because I like to say things that we have no idea if it could be proven or not. <laughs> I'm just looking at the bird we magic. Tra- we have to keep track of the next 15 years. We're going to check in when you're 70. Like that Luca prediction is close to working out. It's great. At 2029, I'll be like, remember that time I told you he was never going to lose in round one ever again? I'm I call at- you. I'm like, he still hasn't lost in the first round. And you're like, Luke Perry? <laughs> uh, bird magic. Those guys, by the time they were 22, they're just making round twos. I think LeBron, once he hit 22, he was at least round two every year. So if he's an all-time guy, got to make round two every year. You got to 50 plus wins and uh, and make round two. I don't know what they do with the Porzingis thing, though. And I don't know, like, let's say you're running New Orleans and they call you and like, and they, and you can kind of tell they wouldn't mind having the Porzingis conversation. How nervous would you be about him physically trading for him? Really, especially if I already have Zion on my team. Yeah, I think that would be your answer. We can't. Do do you guys realize we have Zion on our team? Yeah. Can't look at this. I thought huge. This year was a huge win for Luca, and I did worry last week that that Clipper game, the awesome game four, would be one of those games that, like, a month later, be like, ah, it wasn't that great. I still feel like that's going to be his version of like, uh, I don't know, MJ's. 63 point game. No, MJ's 63 point game. Not not as iconic as that, but like that. I am now on the map with a memorable it's like game. Kirk Gibson's home run, bigger deal. Kirk no. Gibson's home run or Luca? Don't think it's Kirk Gibson home run. I, I think it's the it's Miracle the discount version of the 63 point game where it's just like, oh, that was the game he's put it, he went on the map. But you're more anti the 63 point MJ game than anyone I've ever met in my entire life. Because I think the 49 point game was just as good. The game, we his game our, one game, he he basically has the same game. It just didn't have two overtimes. When we were doing the rewatch of Bulls series, every week Bill and I would text back and forth. I go, well, let's just do this. Let's 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 do an '86 Celtics game. Let's do the Bulls '63 point. You were like, hey, lost. He I did. Like, I was like, okay, but that's that's iconic. And I'd be like, what about this game? He'd be like, no, we're gonna do this one. Okay, the next week, I'd be like, what about this one? Nah, we're gonna do this one. I was like, all right, you know what? I've learned that we're gonna do. It's Bill. It's the Bill Simmons podcast. We're not doing the sixty-three point game. We. I thought you liked most of the choices. I liked most of the choices. I just learned early in the process that I was just going to say yes. I was like the sixty-three is- point game is a little overrated. It really is. <laughs> That's, see, I just you just it's proved a my little point. Overrated. He lost. Hey, did the Mavs win that series? <laughs> no, but they won that game. They won the cool Luca game. All right, let's uh, let's go to the biggest question of the podcast: Rockets Lakers. Who do you root for? <laughs> me who do you root for who does ryan Rossillo? you don't you don't gamble deep down you you get attached to certain players certain storylines you try to be objective but there's that 10 percent sports fan and you're like ah, i'm kind of rooting for this team like dallas clippers deep down you're rooting for luca it'll be like, oh, it'll be more fun if luca wins you don't really care rockets really lakers care, yeah. rockets rockets um probably your least favorite basketball game probably since i've known you I didn't it's know if not, there was something in like the 80s that you hated before I got to know you. I didn't and like the, the way uh, Seattle used to screen, but yeah. And then the Lakers, um, who are just the Lakers. It's just fun to root for them to do badly. Who are you rooting for? Mr. Dehaney, Mr. 405 over here. Lakers, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't any probably about it. I did a whole segment on this last year. I just said, hey, for all those times where you think somebody doesn't like your team, I'm just telling you I don't like your team. I can respect Houston. I like D'Antoni. I like Daryl Morey. I respect what Harden does. But I'm not going to keep doing this. I mean, I feel like I do this every single week. I will be I will be all Lakers. I'm going to ask Jeannie Buss to meet up in Manhattan Beach. 
I'll be like, hey, where are we going for the game? Let's cheer the let's cheer the boys on. So you're like all in on Caruso, like you're just gonna imitate yeah. being a Laker fan next year. Yeah, I'm gonna talk, talk about, about how about, underrated Caruso is. I'm gonna say Caruso, you don't see it in the stats, which I actually think is kind of true. Um, and see, it's already happening. I'm gonna tell you that Kuzma, Kuzma just needs more time with this group. Kuzma would be say, a star in any yeah, other team. That's a I'd good be, one. Instead of saying like J.R. Smith and waiters are washed, I'll say you have you have no idea though. Their ceiling is a lot higher than others. And what what happens if we get Rondo back? And no, no, for J.R. and waiters, you got to do the thing like, hey man, don't be surprised if they steal a game. Yeah, absolutely. Waiters will get you twenty. He's not afraid. Waiters He's the can most win a game. Guy out there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm even going to stick up for Brandon Ingram and pretend he was this good the whole time in L.A. <laughs> so I'll I'll tweet at some people about the Pelicans and go, Ingram was always this good. I'll say Kawhi actually did want to play with LeBron. What else could I do? Um, oh, you could do of one stuff. of our tricks. You could do one of our announcing crutches that we're going to go do later. People don't realize how good Dwight was. <laughs> Dwight has been way better, though, than we ever thought he was going to be. Okay. We have oh, to, he's, we have he's to still rearing that. his ugly head at some point. <laughs> he's definitely rearing his ugly head. Wait till they do hack at Dwight when he's out there and the Laker fans lose their mind. But we I, thought by the way, they should zero. They, we thought it was going to be a zero or maybe a negative 10. And it's at least a 50 for his minutes. For Dwight? Yes. He's been confident. <laughs> He's still Dwight Howard. I'm not saying, but whatever it is, like Dwight couldn't be Dwight. He couldn't be annoying, disruptive Dwight because one, he accepted it. And because LeBron's there. So that was Give him time. There's still three rounds left. There's, there's still a couple. Well, hey, so that, you, that means you have him. You haven't beaten the Clippers. Who do you have as your Lakers best five? Push comes to shove. Here are the five guys that they have to play with their backs to the wall. Because I don't even know if they know what it is yet. Well, the closing group, when they go small, is AD, LeBron, Pope, Caruso, Kuzma, right? And then they... Is that a five that wins the title? I have some bad numbers for you. I mean, there's. I I just because Pope. You, I can't believe how much Caldwell Pope plays. Like I really can't. He is the, basically their Wanamaker, and every once in a while he does okay. But it's just like to to think that he's not going to rear his ugly head as as we get to nut crunching time here in these last two rounds potentially. Like I, I just don't know how you trust that guy. No, I, I mean AD was. Everything you wanted in the mid-range stuff that we thought was a problem and some of the shooting in the bubble, um, he made every single mid-range shot against Portland. He was incredible. Yeah. LeBron He's had great. the bad two games as far as a shooting standpoint. Then he was 11 to 18, 10 to 12, 14 to 19. So he was perfect again. But when I went through the top five guys in minutes or top six, like Pope was a – and again, this is five games, but Pope at least hit 40% of his threes against Portland – but that's about it. He he was like a t- these guys were so below the baseline efficiency that you would want for players. He was bad. Kuzma was bad. Danny Green's been kind of a mess. And Caruso is not an offensive player at all. I mean, he just isn't. He did a really good job against the pick and roll as the primary defender on the guard on the pick and roll and some of that stuff. So some of those numbers were pretty good. But the closing unit for them, yeah, and and. I actually think that they would like the J.R. Smith thing isn't working at all. And oh, 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 there are no signs at all other than that. He hasn't been good for two years. What, what the hell are they thinking with that one? I'm trying to think like Danny Green, though. Does he I'm trying to remember because I, I think I Green wanna, I has to Green has to be out there 
when we get to nut crunching time, just because he's done it so many times. Caldwell Pope is the guy I would not trust. And and against Portland, if you're Caldwell Pope, you're like, this is great. They've got Hazonia. I know I'm better than that guy. Yeah. When when you go to minutes, Danny Green was was actually third in minutes, but some of the minutes stuff with Portland. I mean, once you figured out like, hey, Portland can't really guard anybody, this thing is over. Um Last night was was a tough night for everybody who had hold had held on to the Simon stock. It would be like it, there was a little like a Roddy Roddy Boubois comeuppance. On remember how much Simon buzz there was? There was even some on this podcast. I think I, I started. Like, I like this actually. guy. I think I this started Simon's, and then it's like, wow, here's his moment right here. Dame's Dame's gone. It's Simon's time. And then and then you watch like ah, not ready. Maybe someday. I, the Lakers, where are you right now? With if, if Herzonia were traded to the Celtics, would you become a Nets fan? I just think this will be Herzonia's last basketball team. He has to go to Europe. He has to fulfill his destiny of playing in Greece or Italy, something like that. That was amazing how much they needed Carmelo just to not lose by forty every game. Like he played real minutes. He was guarding LeBron. It's insanity. No other playoff team. Would have had any, would have played Carmelo for one minute. Yeah. And, and then I, people are like, man, Carmelo's really proved that it. it's like, yeah, he proved he could be a mediocre guy in a playoff team. But yeah, he's just old. It's, you know, it's what it is. I, I, I admire that he was in there and he made a couple of big shots and stuff like that. But when he's guarding like LeBron, LeBron must have thought it was like, this is the greatest round one he ever could have had. It was like, oh God, like, he can guard it by Carmelo Anthony. I still think the, the LeBron love for Melo, where it's it's this like LeBron when you were the focal point of all of this criticism and all of these topics, and then you you become like inherently like dismissive to anything. LeBron's been doing this for years. A lot of guys, quarterbacks, do this all the time. Where if you were to say to LeBron, like you know, Florida, Florida's got a lot of coastline, and he would say, you know, a lot of Everglades though too, you know, and you'd be like, what? Like <laughs> no, like what are you talking about? And so. Mello, this whole thing was a win for Mello because it just became overnight that he couldn't play. Like he wasn't good enough to play in an NBA game. And he proved that that was never the case. But it was always about fit. Hey, when you come in here, are you going to accept a role or are you going to be disruptive? And then once Portland had all their injuries to the wings and then guys opt out and they were like desperate to keep the guy around to give him buckets. But LeBron, it's just funny. It's a very funny LeBron observation that he was after the fact, like Mellow, 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 and you guys and Mellow, Mellow. And it's like, dude, you could have had Mellow on your team for two years. For, for years. Yeah. And you didn't. So you're like a way station <laughs> for for almost washed up NBA stars. Mellow was the one that you, over the last four years, you were like, eh, I'm good. Kind of weird. Um, let's do uh, announcing crutches. So I've noticed the two best NBA announcing crutches are people don't realize dot, 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 or this guy doesn't get enough credit for dot, dot, dot. So let's use Jason Tatum's defense as an example. Anyone who watches basketball this year knows that Jason Tatum is an excellent defender now. In fact, this is why I made him second team all NBA. But then you'll watch these games and the announcers, and, I, and it'll be any crew. At some point, Tatum will do something incredible on defense and he'll immediately get the, this guy doesn't get enough credit for his defense. Or people don't realize how good Jason Tatum is defensively these days. So I just think we should take some stuff off the table 
for these announcing crutches. Tatum's defense, you're no longer allowed to say that people don't realize he's good at defense. LeBron's passing, we know LeBron's an amazing passer. Please don't tell me that, that LeBron doesn't get enough credit for his passing. He led the league in assists this year. We all know he's a good passer. Doc Rivers plays coming out of a timeout. You know, he doesn't get enough credit for how good he is coming out of a timeout. I actually think he gets too much credit. I think it's going <laughs> the other way. It's overrated, underrated. David I think West. there's always going to be, no matter what, there's always going to be a slight hesitation with you on Doc. I just, I think well, there's too just, much I bad he, blood there. I think he gets enough credit. I like Doc yeah. Rivers. Uh, Dwight Howard's hands. Does he like you? Pe- probably not. People don't realize how good Dwight Howard's hands are. No, I think they realize he was the second best player in the league in 2011. Um, People don't realize, and he doesn't get enough credit, Brooke Lopez, his defense. He's getting enough credit. You're on fire with these. He's really really good on defense. I'm just saying, I'm ready to table those. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, Did you know that Dwight Howard and Josh Smith played at AAU together? People don't realize. Yeah, that one was a big one. The other... One of my all-time favorites, different sports, is, is Clayton Kershaw and Matthew Stafford played together in high school. Um, that one has just been absolute beaten to a pulp. How about people don't realize what a good offensive player DeMontis Sabonis has turned into? I hadn't really thought about that one. Is he that made, one still bothering you? Well, he made the all-star team. I think people realize it now. He's really good. People um, don't realize how crafty Goran Dragic is. He doesn't get enough credit for it. I have a bigger one is just Lillard being underrated. You're like, no, he's he's the third best point guard. He's definitely properly rated at this point. Yeah. I mean, he was so underrated for so long that you just go, what, what do you want? Like, you've got to, you have to have more than sort of a weird Western Conference finals appearance, which is actually pretty good compared to some other guys, but that's that one. And we are both very pro Lillard on this, but in a million years, I, I don't think anybody takes him over Harden or Curry. I just, Pe- I, don't, I just don't think you do. People don't realize what a good defensive player Anthony Davis is. That one's insane. I mean, he's only been this good for this long and can switch on to everything. People don't realize how passionate Kevin Garnett is night in and night out. (laughs) People don't know that Larry Bird is from Indiana and, and had a growth spurt. Oh, that's another good one. The growth spurt thing. Oh, with Giannis. People don't realize when the Bucks drafted him, he was 6'9". Yeah, no, we do. That's why he went 15. We we know that he's seven feet now. I think Tatum's defense is the funniest one to me. I I would say is he one of the one of the four best wing defenders at his position now? You put Kawhi over him. Do you have like a whiteboard in a in a shed out back where there's yeah. just whiteboards like a beautiful That's... mind? Just Russell Simmons over here, where <laughs> you're you're just. Where the fuck do you keep track of your your top? top my top deep, fours? I don't know. That one your, I just threw out. <laughs> what? How about this? I'm not even what, saying it's not possible, but how? I want to know how you came to that conclusion. What three wing defenders do you like more than Jason Tatum right now? Kawhi, Kawhi one definitely. Um, ben Simmons. I'd put Ben Simmons over him. Probably Ben Simmons. I still love Draymond. Yeah, but, true. Draymond. I don't even know what position he is anymore. Yeah, that, Draymond's. He's doing this whole like personality thing now. He signed with CNN. He killed it on TNT. Like he's starting to that Barkley corner. He's starting to eye it. I think starting to look. He's starting to get it in now. For for when uh, five years from now. All right. People don't realize how how good of a talker Draymond Green is. Michael Kidd. Doesn't get enough credit for it. 
<laughs> People don't realize that after after his career is over, he's going to have a lot to say. No, no, he's been pretty talkative. He's been pretty talkative. Um, we're going to take a break and come back in a second. Hey, you can add a little excitement this football season and bet all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the number one sportsbook app, and with good reason. Now, normally I would be looking at the week one odds and telling you which games jump out of me, but you know what? Sal and I do guess the lines every week on Sunday nights, starting uh, heading into that football weekend. Here's the thing. I'm not cheating with Sal. I, I'm not that kind of guy, but you could cheat. You could go to FanDuel Sportsbook right now and you could place your first bet risk-free for up to $1,000. Bet any game. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 in site credit if you don't win. Wow. Get your winnings in as little as 24 hours all on an app that's super easy to use. Here's be my advice. Don't bet against Belichick. Maybe bet on Belichick. See for yourself why FanDuel is the number one sportsbook app. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code BS so they know I sent you. That is FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BS. You must be 21 plus president in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. West Virginia, 1800gamber.net. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. All right, weird question, Marcelo. Should they have tweaked these playoff rules a tiny bit in the bubble to have more of a home court advantage? Because you watch that Toronto-Boston game today and you think, wow, this, this couldn't have worked out for the Celtics better just from a pure basketball standpoint. Normally, you go to Toronto... Weird place to play, a lot of noise, tough place to win. Toronto's super comfortable there. And here it's like the bubble, you're playing the Toronto sound effects. This is something we've noticed over the first three weeks. I was thinking like, even if they had said the home team got the ball every quarter, even that's better than what they have now. What's your take on that? Do you have a take? My take is usually, it starts with why do we have to always tweak everything here? And I know it isn't fair. I mean, but the, fair. the, whole, the whole thing is... Hey guys, it's not going to be ideal. You know, when you start hearing about guys being there two plus months and then especially everything that happened, um, none of it is ideal. I'm okay with that by possession, but I think the real problem would be do you just do it by seeds? Okay, so if you're the higher seed, you get the possession every time because there's also some of these teams, if at least if you've gone back to the beginning of the playoffs, where you may be the five seed, but you're a game behind the four seed where then there's other teams that are separated by more games. So again, if it was just the possession thing, for, you for, start for if court, you had home court. Yeah, I'm no, I only get home court. Yeah, I get it. Right. You're home court. So that means for those games one and two, you get, I'm okay with that. But I feel like the NBA was a little concerned with how much can we really do stuff that's never been done before to try to make up for what's really a sacrifice for everybody. What about the five rowdiest fans? from the home court team's fan base gets to sit behind the road team's bench during the bubble. So like Boston, games three and four, now we're bringing Murph and Sully and the J-Bug. We're just putting them right behind. They can still get kicked out like it's a real game. They're wearing masks. No? I just think you're asking for fights because guys are so bored right now. <laughs> I mean, have Good you point. noticed? have you noticed how much, like Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, 
they're like the sixth man right now in some of these games before Westbrook came back and played. But like Beverly, there was a call when Doncic threw the ball at the ref, which he did. And, and Doncic is a huge complainer and he deserved the technical throwing it at Kennedy. Beverly was already on the court. It was almost like he anticipated it. So mm. I think that that part of the arena has been so active because there's so many guys that are so bored that it would get way worse. Because then if you're one of five guys heckling a team, you can't feel you can't like kind of hide out with the other 16,000 yeah. people. Well, at the very least, I think do you, you have others. That's the thing. Do you no, have that's things? really it. That, that's all I got. I don't know what else you could really do. I mean, they're they're doing all, you know, they do the cues from the home teams games, so it makes it feel like it's a little more familiar when you're home. But really, it there's no way to advantage it. And I think for Toronto, that you know, I'd be bummed out if I was Toronto. Like I'm down one nothing in the series. Boston's in control. I think it's a weird matchup for Toronto anyway, which we're about to 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 uh, talk about. But, you know, I, I think for them specifically, it, it's really going to hurt them. And I, I think it's going to hurt Milwaukee too against Miami because Milwaukee really, you know, could turn it on at home and they got a lot of energy from that crowd, especially Giannis. And Miami's a weird team. You know, they're, they're, they're that team that could just make 17 threes in any game. So um, at the same time, I like it because this is the most organic who has a better team situation we've seen from a playoff standpoint, but it's just weird that the regular season has meant so little. Did you think, especially when we had both one seeds lose in the beginning, um, what else did we have? We had the Clippers, well, split with Dallas before they were eliminated. And it was something that was brought up was, you know, we always hear this about role players, right? Role players in playoff games disappear or, you know, they'll have a moment, but you can't really count on them because in the playoffs, it's entirely different because of the setting, the backdrop. And then we started hearing, well, you know what? It's easier to shoot with these backdrops because it's not a big arena. Okay, totally buy that. There's no real pressure on, you know, but when I, as I heard that being brought up more and more, especially after just the opening couple games of the playoffs, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I couldn't help but push back on it and go, okay, so does that mean everything we've seen is a lie? Does it mean that everybody talent-wise is closer and it's just that the superstars are better dealing with circumstances? Because that doesn't make any sense. Movement, size, shooting, skill, all of these things are real. Like I think they're real from the years of watching these games under normal settings, but we were desperate for some sort of conclusion to why the playoffs started out the way they did. And guess what we got? Portland can't play defense. The Clippers are better than the Mavs, especially without some guys. You know, um, Milwaukee isn't you know they they were ready to forfeit a game against Orlando and they still like their chances of three two right so it didn't really kind of play out the way I think some were searching for some new outcome that at least you know after the what first do, what round, do you think in round one what do you think the most glaring oh if this was normal this would have really helped this team situation was because even though Boston was better than Philly and I still think Philly probably would have rolled over. I still think Philly in a game three with their backs to the wall down to nothing with that crowd, it could have gone either way, right? The crowd could have lifted them or that crowd could have turned on them in the second quarter. But I, I just think that Philly crowd in games three and four would have been so much more profoundly impactful for better or worse for that Sixers team. Cause if they're down three, nothing in game four, they're getting booed that whole game. So we, we missed out on that too. We missed out on some of the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's two answers. You're right on Philly. They're back game three. They were incredible at home this year. Yeah. I mean, insane record. And you like their chances. But the end game, especially without Simmons, is probably what the hell's wrong with this team? Look at these bad contracts. When does Brett Bryant get fired? So I, I still think we got the conclusion to the Sixers part of the story that was probably going to happen if we had normal circumstances. What about Lakers game one? 
I think it would have been hard for Portland to win in LA, especially when they haven't really had a, an important playoff game in what, eight years? There definitely would have been an energy for that first game. I think it would have been nuts. Portland's not winning that game. Yeah, it would have been tough. Poor Portland. We'll talk about them later. I want to talk about the Celtics because um, it was an impressive job by them today. I think there were some mismatches and advantages in their favor that I know both of us felt like were existed for them. Zach picked them to win, win in seven. I think the wings and, and the fact that Kemba looked better um, and the fact that they could kind of survive with Gasol out there, which they certainly did today. I was thinking, though, big picture. It was the first time I started to allow myself to think like, oh, man, could they make the finals? Like, and, and I'm not saying they're even going to beat Toronto. I'm not jinxing it. I'm not doing any of that stuff. But you just think like, all right, to get through this, then what happens? And, and I was thinking big picture. It's weirdly their best window to actually win the title over the next three years. And you wouldn't think that because Tatum's young, Brown's young, the whole thing. But you look at their salary cap situation where they're not going to be able to replace whatever that Hayward salary cap spot is, even if he opts in for next year. It's basically this year and next year for that. Tatum, they're going to have to pay. So they're going to be at a point, Tatum, Brown, Kemba, those three guys are going to be the entire salary cap. They don't have any of these draft picks left that they knew they were getting that Sacramento pick a year and a half ago. They knew they were getting the Memphis pick last year. Now, now it's kind of circled back to, you know, they don't have this awesome pick every year that they could at least shop. That's gone. Then you think in the East, you've got no Duran in Brooklyn. That's changing next year. You have Milwaukee, who's going to have home court again next year. And Giannis, who I don't think either of us feel like has hit his peak as a player. You have Philly, who's not going to be as much of a mess as they were this year. Next year, you have the Lakers and the Clippers, who will have been together for a year, and they'll they'll just have, you know, more of a, more of a team kind of thing. And then you have Luca and Giannis, who are going to be the two most important guys in the league. They're going to be better next year. So in a weird way, this is kind of a, a nice window for the Celts. And I don't know if the window is going to be as juicy as it is right now with no home court advantage. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. When you started, I went, okay, here we go. And then I got to be honest, like you did, you didn't even, I landed Golden the State. plane. You did. Golden State has to be. And I, yeah, I left out too. Golden State. Right. And it's, I think no one forgets Durant and Kyrie are on Brooklyn, but it doesn't feel real until we actually get to see those guys. And Durant's arguably the best player in the league. So you go, oh, wait, like whatever it is, it's going to look good. It's just a matter of does the Kyrie part of it work, which, you know, whatever. I have my bets already placed on that. I think the only thing that would change that is that Philly could conceivably be worse. Maybe there's a better version of Miami in another year or two, but I mean, unless Bam takes it to kind of perennial all-star, you know, third team, all NBA type of stuff, as much as we love Bam, does he take it to that level? And Hero, and then, I think Hero and Robinson, I could yeah. see them being better next year. Well, they should be better, right? Cause they're, yeah, young. they should be better. Um, but the Toronto thing because of Van Vliet and how much he's going to get paid. I don't know how they're going to pull that off or at least, you know, a year later. The only thing that I would say, all right, let me just try to counter because I agree with you. I, I actually, the more I think about it, the only pushbacks I would have is that if Tatum ascends to where we think he could go, losing Hayward and not filling that slot, maybe like hey, Tatum in some maybe that's games a wash. looks right. like he can maybe carry a team for an entire series, uh, the best version of Tatum. And even that doesn't feel as locked in all the time. What if Giannis leaves though? 
Right. And that wouldn't be for a year. Because the, the reason I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the 2012 season, which has some similarities to this season, where you had the condensed regular season and the playoffs and you had some big injuries and and some other things. And OKC just kind of, all of a sudden they were in the finals and all of a sudden they're kicking ass and you were like, wow, it, it, their window's now. And then they didn't get back there. And you just never know with the league sometimes. It, it's been a recurring theme on this podcast, that's for sure. You, between injuries, cap, um, some team gels together, some team self-destructs. The East seems takeable right now. And, you know, you go forward a year, I don't know if the East is going to be that ta- that takeable. I think Boston will be better because their younger players should get better. But, man, that I mean, that Brooklyn team, that, that's like a contender that, is just gone this year. And we, and the upside of, they have some trade pieces. There could be a KD Kyrie third star kind of mega team thrown together that I'm fearful of. Even so though not I'm DeAndre you. Jordan now, not, not DeAndre. He's, he's not the guy. Okay. Uh, and then Milwaukee, whatever they do, you know, like if they fell short this year, um, they'll do something. Yeah. Summer. Would they, would this be the Chris Paul thing that we revisit after this season where I didn't really ever think he was going to be traded before the season just because of a number, but would Milwaukee is, and I'm not going to say it's the same thing because I trust Milwaukee ownership more than I trust Cleveland ownership, but Cleveland for years, every single year, every off season and basically every trade deadline, trying to convince LeBron, we're going to do everything. And ultimately what they did was made it harder to make the team better. So they made minimal improvements that were going to lead to long-term problems and you wonder, like, let's say Milwaukee loses to Miami. Like, I mean, I don't think it's impossible. I, I've seen plenty of people picking Miami here. I, what if you, you're going to, I'm going to be one of them in about, <laughs> in about 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so if that were to happen, you know, does, does the front office say we need to be bold and, and maybe really take a swing at it? It's funny. And I know you have this happen to you, but you'll talk to teams that are stagnant and that are bored. And they'll say, you know, we're kicking this around, right? Like Westbrook was one of them where you go, do we just say, fuck it, do it? Because, you know, we're not that interesting. We're not breaking up anything that's going to go any, like, do we just do it? And the answer, like 99 out of 100 times is now nah. we're good. Yeah, but you, you know, know what we've you know seen, what I mean, though? Yeah, but we know we've seen the last five years. And I think it's because contracts got shorter and because of all the player movement and it's the age of player movement. Every offseason. There is multiple huge moves. And that that brings me back to this, this Boston point. Like, all I know is I know what the league is right now. And the East seems super winnable. And I watched the West and the Lakers, they figured it out against Portland. I I could that Houston series, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, is such a bizarre series. They cannot be happy about it. And then the clips, when Kawhi's playing like that, he's the best player in the playoffs. Still it's still a team that feels like it's feeling each other out in a lot of ways. Even today in game six, Doncic all of a sudden gets hot and you're like, oh my God, is this going to go seven? I still don't 100% trust them. So to the Boston point, like they're two guys short. They're still a Wanamaker. You got, you had Robert Williams was all over the map. He missed at least seven defensive. He was either late on a rotation or he's in the wrong spot, but then he'll do a couple other things. I think Brad is just like, Ah, this guy will do five good things and four bad things. We're still plus one in the good bad thing thing. But the the Wanamaker had some classics today. But yet Tatum Brown Kemba is 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 that the best big three left? 
Whoa. Um, Who's got a better third yeah, guy Lakers, than Kemba? The Lakers have the best two. Right. I'm saying best three. Who's got a better third than Kemba? Oh, Westbrook, Harden, Jeff Green. Yeah, fuck it. Sorry, you're right. No, no, let's My stay bad. on this. Let's stay, let's stay on this. Is it is it Clay, Steph, and Draymond? I'm talking about teams left in the playoffs. Okay, all right. The all right. final eight. I'm just running them through my head right now. I mean, it's not OKC. It's not Utah's third guy. It's certainly not Denver's third guy. It's not Miami's third guy. Dragic, Bam, and Butler. Clippers, you could say Harold, Lou Williams. They're not as good as Kemba. Uh, Harold, Harold's, you know, everybody's going to probably lose on the third. Um, Portland's out. Uh, Milwaukee's third guy. It's, you know, we'll take your pick. Because uh, I think Toronto. what's interesting about Boston as a playoff team yeah, is they, are, they do. They have the three. They have the best as far as like the most depth reliable of the three. three. Yeah. yeah. I don't reliable. think that's a crazy statement. Are we forgetting anybody? Because I don't want to. I want to make sure we cover. Our I don't asses think so. <laughs> no, we're not forgetting anybody. I, I think what makes them an interesting playoff team is you're not going to have all three of those guys disappear in the same game. You know, we when you have three and I think the Clippers. Let's say Kemba was on the Clippers and, you know, Kawhi's not going to disappear pretty much every time in a playoff game. But if he did, you'd have the, the Kemba wrinkle, which is, you know, I guess Lou Williams would be um, the discount version of Kemba in some ways. But I, what struck me today is I didn't even feel like the Celtics played that amazing. They got great shots. I thought there was a world in which they actually could have played like 20% better than that. If I'm Toronto coming out of that game, I'm terrified by the shots Boston got. Every shot was great. They missed so many layups and little four-footers around the wind. They missed wide-open shots left and right. Then Toronto's going to a zone, and it's like, all right, this is working for two minutes, and then all of a sudden it wasn't anymore. What, like, what adjustments do you make if you're Toronto? What do you do? Well, the biggest thing going into this series, which I wish I had studied a little bit more prior to Sunday's pod, but you know everything was kind of all over the place, was that Toronto's the number one transition offense in the NBA but they're going up against the number five transition defense. And you could even see on Lowry drives and stuff with Van Vliet, it was almost like the mini Giannis wall. We always talk about the Giannis wall. You could see Boston in transition trying to cut that off because when you yep. look at Toronto's half-court numbers, and these are pretty significant, if you go their half-court points per possessions in just half-court, okay, so we're not talking transition, half-court sets, Toronto's 16th in points per possession according to Synergy, cleaning the glass that cleans up those numbers a little bit, takes out garbage time, Yeah, 18th. And then there's another site that's PVP stats where they're actually following a dead ball. So an inbound Toronto, they set up their half-court offense. They're 24th in the NBA in points per 100 possession. So they're essentially a bad half-court offensive team. So if you as Boston, who's been really solid all year in transition defense, and I think even for a series, Brad gets these guys to tune it up even more. And we're talking about Tatum's defense, who's incredible defensively. Even though he had such a slow start offensively, his defense was awesome. Smart makes a million little plays. Yes, he drives me crazy, but there's a million little plays in there. Just other guys have no interest. Not even They're not even aware that you're allowed to do those things. Okay. Yeah. And then you have Jalen, who has the size and the athleticism to hang with some different people. So if I'm Toronto and I go, we are about transition offense and we beat all the bad teams, we're average against 500 teams. Boston wasn't great against teams over 500 either, so they're about the same there. But without Hay with Hayward, I loved Boston in this matchup. Without him, I reluctantly picked Toronto. 
And I'm not trying to freak out about game one because we both know the shooting side of it. Boston isn't going to shoot that well. Marcus Smart's not going to light you up from three. Toronto's not going to shoot this poorly. But the transition part of this matchup favors Boston all the time. So if they can make Toronto be a half-court team, so what do you have in Toronto's offense? You have two smaller guards that aren't really dribble drive guys. They're dribble pass guys. They're big set screens, but neither Ibaka or Gasol roll. So that means you have to just kind of stay out and contest them or two on the driver. And it really comes down to like, are they going to let Siakam go and try to create off the dribble, which I still don't necessarily think, even though we saw it a lot last year. But when Kawhi's not on the court with you, having Siakam be the focus of the offense to kind of dribble, drive, and create on his own, and even though the numbers are okay, that's a problem. So I think well, it's I, all of these different things in that first game. I thought that was Toronto's biggest mistake today. When they when they were really trying to establish Siakam on the low post, stuff like that, I was delighted as a Celtics fan. Like, please do that. The stuff I'm worried about is all like the high screen stuff with your guards and you guys just wearing down Kemba over and over again. And, you know, Van Vliet and Ibaka high screen, stuff like that. We're just like putting miles on Kemba during the series. If you're posting up Siakam, like we can handle that one. And I'm not even, I just don't think he's that good of an offensive player. I, I think he's good. But he's not good enough to like, you know, take it to town against Boston's wings on the low post. I didn't understand that at all. And then they kind of, they figured it out as the game went along, but then they couldn't make a three. And, you know, it's tough to overreact when a team goes 10 for 40 on threes. But on the other hand, um, Boston really didn't play with that well. Yeah, they went 17 for 39 from three. Their defense was really good. Defense shot, was good, right, but they the missed a lot of stuff around the rim. Did. I, I felt like they I gave away a lot. I didn't think they were that great on off. I thought they got good looks, but they weren't closing. Tatum was missing layups. Like they Tice missed a, Tice missed at least three or four layups. Jalen missed an alley oop. Wanamaker got out, his three things blocked as usual. Wanamaker looked like he didn't want to be out there today. Uh, but you know that's what happens. That's why you're a backup at least in the regular season. The Robert Williams thing was funny because when he first came in, he misses two Obaka threes immediately, and I thought Brad was going to call a timeout and go, "Hey, time lord." And then, hey, Serge, can you come here for a second? Hey, Rob, this is Serge Ibaka. Right. He makes this is what threes. he does. He, he makes he's been killing the Celtics for 10 years. For some reason, he always <laughs> plays well against Boston. I just want you to say hi to him real quick. Can we go back to the Siakam thing, though? Because are you, you sound too critical of him. I just don't think he's like a super talented offensive player. I think he's a good offensive player. But to me, it would be like if Boston went into the series and like, we're going to post up Jalen Brown. I'd be like, why, what are, why are we doing that? That's, that's, he's not that guy. He's, he is the guy that he's been, you know, he's, he's transition three guy. He's wide open three guy. He's set him a screen and he, he curls off, goes to the basket, stuff like that. But why are you posting him off? And I know the Toronto fans, but like, no, no, see, I can post up. But if you're the Celtics, that's like a delight. If they're doing that, you can, you have so many different guys who can defend a Siakam type. Yeah, so that's a problem I, I for just, him. I this, just yeah. wouldn't, I just wouldn't do that. And you know, he tailed off, and you were talking. He was twenty three again this year, and you mentioned, um, either on my pod or when you did the Raja pod, one of them, you were talking about how his shots went down as Van Vliet, as Van Vliet's usage rate went up, stuff like that. I just don't think he's an elite offensive player. I think he's a really good offensive player, but not an elite offensive player. So running everything through him, I thought was a really weird choice. Now. I'm criticizing Nick Nurse, who I think is the best coach in the league. So I just want to, I just want to say that I'm not saying I know more than Nick Nurse. I just think, I think they misplayed it. I think they thought they could get an advantage out of that and get him going, and and it they fell on their face. 
How often do you think, though, we see stuff that may not make sense in the short term, but is part of a long term thing where it's like, hey, Siakam hasn't played as well. He shot it poorly in the seeding games, 39%. He was 42% from the floor against Brooklyn, 31% from three. Like, let's, let's get him get, going kind let's of go thing? Him, yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Maybe. I just think that's playing right into the Celtics' strengths. As you said, the transition defense is great, and they're really good at at defending swingmen who post up. It's, uh, it's, they're, Semi, they're weak. Semi owned them. Man, he, like, he couldn't move Semi Ojale. Right. And I mean, this is the most valuable Semi's looked in a game in a year. Their weakness is Kemba defensively. And the Raptors, I think, as this series go along, are just going to attack him with their guards and just make him constantly have to do stuff defensively. And then Wanamaker to a lesser degree, too. But I, I think if you're the Celtics, you know, it's such an interesting team. And I, I was ready for to hear a conversation today about it with the announcers, and they didn't do it. Like, Cantor, who I thought was really effective in the Philly series, he's just out for the series. And Brad does that with him, where he's just like, yeah, uh, take the next two weeks off. We'll, we'll, we're going to need you for round three. <laughs> it's crazy. Cantor was huge in the Philly series in, in a couple of the quarters. And now I guess they must have looked at him like, yeah, we don't want him 25 feet for the basket. He's just not going to play. But I, I do think that's an advantage for the Celtics team. They have a weirdly malleable lineup depending on who they're playing. It's one of the reasons the matchups favored uh, them against Toronto, I thought. I didn't like Gasol, especially in the last seeding game. That was the game where I got excited about Boston against Toronto. I'm like, wait a minute. Hey, pick Boston, pick Boston. And then I just thought losing the Hayward piece was was such a problem because it was just another wing that could chase these guys around because they kind of start with... Um, they put. You're right about the Kemba Van Vliet. Like I would expect more Van Vliet. Toronto then went two bigs. Then they were like, wait yeah. a minute. Can we just go really big against Boston? And every time you felt like Toronto, because I always feel like any team that's halfway decent makes some kind of run. So you can see a team down 20 and they're like, oh my God, they've cut it to six. But like that actually, I feel like that happens more often than it doesn't. But every time Toronto would crank up that pressure, they cranked up that pressure to start the third quarter defensively, corner three Jalen, corner three Kemba, corner three smart. And you're like, okay. And then they had a nice little push again where I think they got it to like 11 and then they brought the pressure up. Tice runs baseline and finishes with a dunk. And so... The zone thing that ESPN got really excited about, there were two possessions that they ran a B-roll of coming back from break. We're like, look at Nick Nurse throwing in the zone. I mean, if a coach, I seriously, if I were an NBA coach, I would run a box and one like twice a game and then tell every reporter I ran box and run so that everybody thought everyone gets excited genius be like oh Rosillo's willing to do anything this fucking guy box and one of two out of 110 possessions he did a triangle too this guy's unbelievable he doubled the inbound fucking madman um but he (laughs) (laughs) the zone didn't do I don't I didn't I can't always keep track of exactly how many zone possessions there are because sometimes you think it is and then it isn't and the coach is like no that's not what we were doing and they certainly know better than we do but Tice dropped a pass and Tatum lost the dribble. It, it actually like it really didn't have much to do with the zone. And then when they went with the bigs, that didn't really do anything. I think it's two things. Like you said, it's seeing a Van Vliet who was terrible. He, Siakam, and Lowry were so below their standards that yeah. that's just going to f- be fixed in the next game. It just will be. Um, I have a theory, though, I'll throw you at the end of this. So it'll be attacking Van Vliet, or excuse me, Van Vliet attacking Kemba. And I'd expect that they may have moments where they bail on Gasol. Where they just say, hey, let's go small and and let's see if we can outsmall this or, team. But maybe they're scared of the wings. I don't know. Or f- flip side, I actually think they should post up Gasol. They posted him up once and I was like, oh shit, I hope they don't start doing that. I, I, I think don't know about him now. He's, though. I, <laughs> he's always he's always given the Celtics problems and he's big when, and he's a good passer. 2010? Yeah. 
back when I was in college. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I would just go, I would rather go to him than Siakam on the low post, I guess is my point. Let's, uh, let's take a can, break. Can I, before the break, ask yeah. you a question? I, yeah. So I know how much you hate it when I interrupt the breaks. What if I throw a theory at you yeah. that is certain to upset our brethren to the north? Yeah. What if Toronto post Kawhi regresses back to the Toronto that was overwhelmingly disappointing in the playoffs and we just don't know it yet? Oh, like Kawhi was the kryptonite for for that, but now this is who they are for the next 20 years. The Toronto it's, fans don't care. They're they're so psyched they won the title. They're good. I don't know about that. Because then it would be like, wait a minute, they have a winning pedigree, they understand it. But I mean, this was a group with Lowry that was again, it was a different coach. I don't know. It was just something that popped in my head. I just wrote it down. I meant to ask it to you, and I don't even think I believe it. Just something to throw out there. Take a break. Hey, when it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against some obstacles, like lots of applicants, like difficulty finding the right ones for your job, like finding time to hire while running your business, like trying to ensure workplace safety, whatever your problems are. That's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, whatever it is, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job, invites them to apply. In fact, check out this stat. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help win the hiring game. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I want to talk OKC Houston and then Miami's chances in round two. I don't want to say it was a tough break for OKC because everything that happened in the bubble uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday had to happen and should have happened. But if you're talking about a team that was in a better shape just basketball-wise on Tuesday night than they were this weekend, it's OKC because it bought Westbrook enough time to come back. And I don't you mean Houston he, in a better spot. I'm saying OKC is in a worse spot because. Okay. Westbrook came back and actually looked pretty good. And it's interesting. The line on that game on Tuesday night was four and a half. Houston by four and a half. And on Saturday, it was still four and a half. And I, I just think Westbrook had to have been worth a couple points. But the worst case thing that happened for, for uh, OKC in that game was getting Schroeder knocked out in the second half because their biggest advantage was to do the three-guard thing. Once that got removed, that game was over. Um, is there an adjustment you could see them making in game six or did they shoot their wad here? Yes. They cannot have Lou Dort be their primary offensive weapon every time he's out there. This is a big You don't want him to take bias. 20 shots? No, no. I'm going to I'm gonna go off here a little bit because Oklahoma City's offensive approach in game five is one of the dumbest executions of a game plan or lack of a game plan or lack of adjustment that I can remember seeing. Now, yes, there are bad teams that get blown out in the playoffs. You can say, hey, they suck that day. Okay, that's fine. But as far as expectations with a smart team, with a team that's played well in big spots, it found like they figured some stuff out against Houston. What they did in game five is, I don't want to say disgusting. I don't want to say I was offended by it, but I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm still here removed from it a day later, dumbfounded that a team would allow that to happen. Okay, hey, guess what? I mean, it's essentially like, okay, what are they doing? Okay, they're they're going to leave door open. Okay, well, he's going to shoot nine times in the first quarter. Lou Dort is going to shoot nine times in the first quarter. He's going to start 0 for 7, 0 for 6 and 3. 
Well, I guess we lose. I guess we're just going to lose because we're going to, because it wasn't just that Dort was taking the open shot. It's that he was taking some threes. I counted like three or four of them while the game was still kind of in the balance where he was taking them with like 15 seconds or more left on the shot clock. He is now at 16, under 16% from three. He has the highest volume of three-point shot attempts of any player on the Thunder in this series, despite the fact he's now at 16, under 16%. He's, and he's, five, 30, for, he's five for 32 from three in this series. He's so, Okay, so guess what? Houston is going to leave him open, so you need to figure something out. Whether you mess up your shooter rotation and bring him in earlier, or you have Dort you know, use him in just a very different way just a couple times to mix it up like I think this is something that's so overlooked with coaches is Houston does a good job with this hey the Harden thing's getting a little stagnant let's do something different let's have Jeff Green bring the ball up and we're gonna have Harden be the screener and then we're just gonna mess up like what you're used to seeing with us and just show you something here different and it may have a lasting impact if I'm Billy Donovan I probably take Dort out for like a weird substitution at nine minutes if he's already 0 for 4 from 3, and go, you know, let's just do something where we plug in a different look because then if we want to bring Dort back, we're fine. And by the way, Dort wasn't exactly lighting up Harden because Harden was killing them. He, like, hadn't missed a shot, had 20 points like that. So that's so, the key point. Dort right. wasn't even slowing Harden down in the game. So it, no, he was, and, it was a disaster. You, just, you let him to continue to shoot. And here's another thing. Like, Danilo stunk. Chris Paul took off the first half of game four, but closed so well and had like 22 in the second half of game four with that big comeback. He wasn't great. The no shooter thing's a problem. Shea was throwing the ball, like literally punting it out of bounds. So Gilgis Alexander had like one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Again, I'm just going to mention one more time. Danilo went from 29 points in game one to one point in game five. But Steven Adams' usage rate, and sometimes it's because of their lineups, but he gets a couple touches early and then they never go to him. But he's... He's sneaky disappointing in that he forgets how big he is. He plays small sometimes. Like he's this big New Zealand guy with his huge family and he's he's tackling ox in New Zealand during the quarantine and we're like big badass Steven Adams and no one would ever fight like him. Then play like it. He plays soft. He's one of those guys you almost need him for the series where the other team has an awesome center. And Adams well, can just That's, bang bodies with him. For a series like this, I, I just don't know what his role is. P.J. Tucker got his third foul. And we know he didn't like the call because P.J. disputed it. And P.J. leaves the game. And the next possession, after a dead ball, it's like, why don't you get Adams deep on a seal? Or have right. him you know, go block to block on a screen so he can get a deeper catch. You know, Just do a different action to test them out now that P.J.'s out of the game. And Dort takes a three. And so that was for a team that I have, and I'm not, look, we both picked Houston. Did we both pick Houston? I know I picked Houston. It's, I, I picked them as a, I didn't feel great about it, but I just thought it was the best player in the series series. So, so I'm just, I'm is, taking the best player. Yeah, fine. All this is, is, you know, moderate expectations of what the Thunder can be. I don't think they're this great, great basketball team, but I think, or I thought they were smarter than this and what they did in game five. I can't, I, so, I don't do this very often. Like I, Bill, I guess I just I'm I'm dumbfounded. I sat there in silence for like ten minutes after the game, going like, "What the fuck did you just let happen to you?" And they could have lost game three. It was yeah. basically one play. So really, like, I don't know. You look at the numbers too, and I don't know where uh, I don't know where we, OKC goes here. They're basically West, shooting thirty. They're shooting thirty percent from three. 
The only the only real positive from them offensively is they're getting to the line more than Houston, but um, I just think Houston's better, and I think Houston knows they're better, and this will lead to the Chris Paul trade this summer because there's Houston, no real way to improve the OKC team, so they'll move him this summer. You know, Houston was upset about the free throw disparity after Game Four, but it was like you took fifty eight threes. Like, what what did you expect? Houston actually got to the hoop at will, and then. You know, Harden got a couple calls earlier, so I think that freaks you out if your door is a defensive player where you think like, hey, maybe if I get away with a couple things, then Harden isn't going to be as tempted to drive at me. The Westbrook angle, I'm not surprised the line didn't move because the Westbrook part of this was like the most, the eighth most significant thing that happened in the game. Like he ran around, he looks, well, it's, it's hard to ever think that he looks wrong athletically because he's still such a specimen but he was rusty and he was okay. He wasn't great, but it didn't even factor into any of this. It's time to, it's time to officially talk about it. Jeff green. Do you miss him? He's, he's almost, he's basically 16 and seven in this series. He's taken seven threes a game and shooting 47% from three. <laughs> <laughs> Living with a personal stylist, man, Houston. Uh, he even has 2.2 assists, which is close to his playoff high for a season. Um, this is a guy. People don't give him enough credit for how much he's bounced around. <laughs> I know, because every everything is so positive. I would love it. Like, you know, Jeff Green, yeah, he's been on 38 teams. But People don't give it. enough credit for what it's like to move. He's taken a little bit from each system, and you're right. Moving's a pain in the ass. you got to change the names and the bills. You got to find new friends. You got to find new restaurants. They're going to try out. to get you a bigger truck and you're not going to need it. So check the square footage. You know, <laughs> you have a new, different airport. You got to get used to that. People don't give Jeff Green enough credit. I can't wait till the next time an announcer says that. People, I don't check my Twitter, but you, you people can uh, hit Twitter replies for Rosillo and, and send us whenever this happens now. Because we don't get enough credit for when we point out stuff like this. This Jeff Green thing, though, they, they, didn't they just pick him up off the waiver wire? They didn't trade anything for him, no, right? No, no. He was just, yeah, free agent signing. Just available. He's also one of those guys you think he's like 40 and he's only 33 because he's been around for 100 years. And it feels like when he was on those Georgetown teams, I feel like that was a million years ago. But um, I can't overstate how good he's been since he joined the Rockets. And naturally, I'm not going to trust it. He's one of my most frustrating Celtics probably of my lifetime. He's my dad's least favorite Celtic of the past decade, but he's doing everything you'd ever want from Jeff Green. And the irony is they really needed a guy who does the things that he does. That kind of hybrid stretch three, stretch four. I can grab a rebound. I'm a decent athlete. I can make threes. I can run the floor. I can fill the lane. All the things the good version of Jeff Green does on paper who inspired us to do this ringer video where you, you you could look at it on our YouTube channel. It's a support group when you don't want to give up on guys. And your guy was Jeff Green. And we did this whole parody video about how ridiculous it is. This one fucking loser who won't give up on Jeff Green. Ha, ha, ha. And now he's the second best rocket until Westbrook's 100%. How the fuck does this make sense? He got cut by Utah in December. He signed Utah, who needs him? Right. They would love him right now. The Celtics... They would give him a three-year extension if this is what they were getting out of him right now. Imagine him giving this kind of production. Now, part of it has always been the skill. That's why people are frustrated. You're this big. He can handle. He can pass. Now, I do think that there's a rule, kind of like Cinderella, once the clock strikes 159 left in the game, 
something happens. Okay. Yeah. Like there's a two minute thing with Jeff Green where that's kind of how I'll judge some players. Be like, okay, that's a nice three that made it, you know, whatever it is at 240 left. But are you going to make that shot with 140? Are you going to make that shot with 40 seconds left? Like I don't Alexa comes in and says, Jeff Green, there's two minutes left in the game. And it exactly. goes off and the alarm starts going off in his head. Oh, I guess it's, they're fucking some stuff up. It's never been, I, I, you know, I've almost, I'm trying to think of like equating it to your group of friends where you're constantly like, why do we hang out with this guy? Ted sucks. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, July 4th weekend, you're, you're, it's some place on the, on, like a New England, you know, you're like in some stretch of like a New England, we're taking Newport, you know, Nantucket, Vineyard, Nahant, I don't care, whatever you want to call it. And you're like, do you know, Ted has a boat? Like what? Ted has a fucking boat. And then you have this epic night. You watch the fireworks. It's like one of the, you bring your boat to the marina. You're waiting. You go out that night. And then you're like, you know, Ted's all right. And then the next week you go, you know, that's not even Ted's boat. He stole it. And there's a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> and we're all now accomplices. And you go, we can't hang out with Ted. And then like six months later, he's like, hey, I have tickets to Daytona. I'll never forget when Tommy Heinsohn compared Jeff Green to James Worthy that time. Which time? He, for an entire season. I, I gotta say, Mike, he, he reminds me of James Worthy. And it was... But that taller. Was the, that was the ceiling of Jeff Green because he would have these games where he'd have like 37 against somebody. Yeah, this isn't because he's bad. He'd dunk it, over somebody. He, that, that's what makes him so fucking frustrating. But I wonder with this Houston team, it's so chaotic and so weird and so different that maybe it almost reprogrammed Jeff Green's brain so he feel it it's like all the baggage is gone now cuz he's playing this sport that doesn't resemble the other uh eight teams that he's been on and the situations he's been on it's almost like a blank slate is that possible it's like memento i don't know if there's remember an that movie system. memento do i remember it or yeah. do i no i remember like jeff, it. i love like it like jeff green's brain is just blank now cuz the rocket's weirdo system has just like diffused him so we're at the beginning of the movie and he's like what year was I drafted? Right. Was, remember when it was me, Durant, and Westbrook were the big three? Wait, His form just left says form. Utah, Memphis, OKC, Boston, <laughs> Orlando. And he's just like, why are all these cities on my right forearm? The funny thing is he has had some decent moments. You know, like in, in game seven. He scored seven, like 17 a game. And then, yeah, you were talking the Cavs in, in Boston. Game seven, 18. Cleveland, Boston. Yeah. He's yeah. the reason this, awesome. that weird Celtics team without Kyrie didn't make the finals because Jeff Green, LeBron needed anybody to be the second best guy for him. Jeff Green was like, I'm the most disappointing player of, of any top five lottery pick of my generation who's actually had a decent career. I'll step up. I got you, LeBron. I'm going to be your James Worthy for this one game. But even like when he was on the Celtics, he had the he had the heart issue, so he missed that year, which I think really they trade Perkins for him, and then he's out. But then he had a playoff run with the Celtics, where he he was really good one year for the Celtics. It, yeah, it was thirteen when they lost to uh, the Knicks, and he averaged twenty a game in that playoff series. So he's had he's had these flashes, and at some point turned into a punchline. But for his career, he's 16 a game. He's played 908 games. Uh, he's a career 44% shooter. I don't know. I, I just, I've stopped trying to figure it out a while ago. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know if there's any way to understand it. And that's my Jeff Green take. Do you want to take a guess? He's been in the league since 07, 08. 
how many seasons, full seasons, where he's had a PER over 15? Oh, probably like two. Zero. Zero. 15 on the dot is his highest ever. And I, you know, again, PER, all the stuff, it, it's, it's all moving. But when you have zero seasons above that, I mean, it's really simple. He'd have that one dunk where he just posterized three players on the other team. And you'd just be like, holy shit. You know? I'll say this. Super nice guy by all counts. I'm actually yeah, happy that I'm actually happy him. that he's having a moment this late in his career where he's become this essential guy. And now we're playing the Lakers. Well, let's get back to that matchup. Are you rooting for the Rockets because of Jeff Green? I'm rooting for them for Daryl because um I worry what what could happen if they don't win this series or if they got swept. And I also hate the Lakers. Sports no, hate, not real hate. Yeah, but well, I think they're gonna go into this and they're just gonna go. All right, who's guarding Harden on your team? Every single person you're going to throw at him, he's going to be able to score on. So you're going to have to double him, and it's just going to come down to these dudes hitting open threes, which they've been hitting. I would be very concerned if I'm the Lakers. I don't know what's going to happen in this series. I'm not a, I hesitate to make a prediction because they could spot Davis 40 points a game and still win this series. Yeah, because the rest of the guys that we went over that beginning group, and maybe the closing group is different there because of this, but I have I have two quick things, though. There's never been an easier system for Jeff Green, so I think everything you're saying is right. Like, you're making the Deke programming joke, but I don't think it's really, like, that far off. Memento. Cause, yeah, because you just have to go, look, here's your action on this, but for the most part, like, hit those corner threes. And he can still always handle enough that he did get stuck on a catch on a closeout where he can dribble a little bit and maybe make another play. And it's, it's never been about that talent. But I, I we've said this constantly. If Ben McLemore looks like a guy who's going to get another contract, then Houston is the reason. I mean, Houston's system is the reason. And so maybe Jeff has to think about less things. But this has to be the time against the Lakers where in Houston's defense has been terrific. And again, Oklahoma still has to be closed out. But I mean, that game five thing leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. But again, if the Thunder come back and win game six, are we going to be shocked? You could have some. I'm, I will th- actually be shocked. You'll be shocked now. Okay. Um, if they do the same thing, they deserve. Like they. Should I just think that I think Houston's co- coaching and their adjustments and this stuff have just been better. But this has to be the series, though, going up against the Lakers, where the Davis thing that makes them pay a little bit more. So yes, I'm worried about the rest of the wings, the drop off that we've seen. Can you play really the centers come- though? If you're the Lakers, can you play Howard and McGee? I don't. Thirty five minutes a game in this series because I don't okay. feel like you can. But I it is. It's very much that game-to-game thing where Dort looks like the most valuable guy, in a sense, the first few games of that Thunder-Houston series. And yeah. he looks unplayable in Game 5. My favorite example of this is Tristan Thompson. In some of the finals games against the Warriors, it was like, get him out of here. He can't help on any of this stuff. And then in 16, when they had the comeback, the Warriors couldn't box him out. So some of these players are very much game to game. So I can imagine a game where it looks terrible when the Lakers have two bigs trying to chase. Like Davis can chase anybody, but Dwight, JaVale, are they going to do it? Although JaVale's been pretty good. I think there'll be nights where it looks like it's to their advantage, and I think there'll be other nights because of the way a game flows where it looks like the Lakers are going to have to size down because the two bigs look bad. So I don't think it's a, hey, for the next seven games, LA can't ever get away with doing some of these things. I think that's one of the things I've definitely learned. Legacy-wise, you know, I love to bring up legacy from time to time. What an amazing moment for James Harden right now. Where he's going into this series. He's going against one of the three best players ever. He's going against a team that has two of the top eight. 
he goes into this, and if he, he if he's a one man wrecking crew with this supporting cast, the guys in threes, Westbrook crashing the boards, doing his stuff. But ultimately, it's a nobody can guard me. I'm James Harden. I'm sending you home. Series. We'll think of him completely differently. If he, if he basically cuts the throat of this Lakers team that has a pretty short window here. This is three years max. Plus you have Davis as a free agent this summer. I, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. There are teams out there who think they have a chance at Davis this summer. It's like, they're, they're like, yeah, if this, if the Lakers thing goes badly this year, who the fuck knows? I don't think anybody thinks it is a 100% slam dunk that he's a Laker next year. It's maybe 95%. I've, I've told you, I've told you that people had clutch clients in to work out where I was like, why, what are you doing here? And they go, Anthony Davis. And I was like, what? I go, you really? And then it was, I don't know that even I, maybe you understand it better than I do, but I think there are times where I know I'm naive about like, wait a minute, what? Like, why do you think Giannis's brothers are on teams? <laughs> right. Okay. You know, and there are little, little things. Now it's, Sometimes they're really stupid, like Glenn Davis going to Orlando because Dwight Howard liked him. That didn't matter. I think Jarrett Jack ended up with the Pelicans once because they were like, oh, Chris Paul loves Jarrett Jack. Like teams will do some of this stuff. And it's exactly to your point that there are teams that are going, we're never going to concede that there couldn't be some bad ending here and act like we're not in play for Anthony Davis. So you're And we've also right. seen it. We've seen right. this the last five years. You can never say anybody is a slam dunk tattoo the logo of the team on their shoulder for the next five years. And it I just goes honestly think though, he would leave LeBron. No, considering the, the family. I deal there. What I do think is that if this goes horribly, everything's on the table. That's it. And I do think if I'm James Harden and I get to potentially knock out LeBron and Davis and the Lakers in a playoff series, um, this is a fork in the road moment for him in a lot of ways. I just can't fathom a guy goes to clutch nuclear options his way out of the Pelicans and then is going to blow off LeBron because they lose to the Rockets in the second round. I don't. You're. But I'm a Laker fan. So 18 out of 20 times. I think you're right. Who the fuck does? I, my only point is there are teams out there who think that Davis yes. could be in play if something bad happens. With Absolutely. This yeah. Um, quickly, Miami, Milwaukee. I picked Miami in this series. I bet on Miami to make the finals and play the Clippers. And I love this matchup for them. I like their team. I think they have an awesome coach. I don't trust playoff bud. I think that they're sophisticated enough on both ends to do some of the stuff you need to do against the Bucks, build the wall against Giannis, um, shoot the threes, try to make the game more random. I just like the matchup. I like their team. And, and ironically, I thought uh, Duncan Robinson was going to be the key guy for them in the playoffs for like making a leap. The guy in round one, and I watched way too much basketball the last three weeks. The guy in round one who I was just stunned by was Hero. Like playing fourth quarters and like deciding what to do on, you know, key possessions and stuff like that, where they're going through him over the other guys on the team. I think Miami's really good. I really do. I think they're a really good team. I'd be really nervous if I was Milwaukee. What do you think? The part I loved about Hero is his handle and that it's not just, I mean, even Duncan has a little bit more shake to him than you totally. would think. And we, we start to project some of these guys that are shooters and we're like, oh, you know, stick him in the corner. It keeps you honest. I think both Duncan of those Robinson, guys are way better than that. Yeah. 
if Fred Van Vliet's going to get $20 million, why wouldn't... I mean, Duncan Robinson's in a different situation because of his contract. But I was kind of kidding when I tweeted out in a poll, would you trade this year's number one pick for Duncan Robinson? Because you just have to like hope that your pick has the ceiling that can be like a real star. But Duncan Robinson would probably get north of $20 million a year if he were just a straight-up free agent. Well, remember we did the why 25... 25 most intriguing guys in the playoffs. You were kind of, you were kind of half into it. Well, I didn't. I don't want to we say you mailed it. it in. You said, you know, you said some picks. Um, <laughs> it was threw, your list, and I didn't know until you unveiled it on the podcast. <laughs> but I had Robinson like eleventh. I didn't. I, I, I didn't. Did. <laughs> I didn't have Hero. I didn't have Hero in the top hundred. I didn't. I didn't think we'd be hearing from him in the playoffs in like a significant way. And then you're watching the Indiana series, and and. They're like calling like he's Jimmy Chitwood with four minutes left. Like clear effort, clear for hero. Send him a pick. Let him cook. I, I always know. wanted to do something where everybody kind of was in on the joke, but you would just do bad interviews with NBA players and you just sit down like in a one-on-one with Nick, with with Tyler Hero and be like, "Are you doing this for Nick Stauskas?" Is <laughs> <laughs> he what motivates you every day to become the player that you are? Because a lot of people thought Nick had a chance. Nick had a chance to be what you are now, and i I don't think it's I don't think it's a mistake to say that you're probably carrying on his name. Can I complain about last year's coin flip one more time? I want to hear more get, about that podcast. Your top twenty five. I mean, once you so did like the Wade Boggs story, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you checked out. <laughs> Celts pick. Celts pick 14 because they lost the coin flip to Miami at 13. And if you go back and you look at that draft on basketball reference, it's a drop-off because it's PJ Washington 12, Hero 13. And then it's like, ah, all right, now, now I'm in the talk myself into guys portion of the draft. And you think like if you put Hero on the Celtics team with the team they have now, he, he, you literally couldn't pick a rookie from this draft who would be the more perfect like eighth man for this team, right? And instead he goes to Miami and it's gotten to the point where he's stealing minutes from dudes who are probably like, what the fuck? That dude's 20. He's playing in crunch time. How is this happening? So I don't know. I just think, I think people who haven't watched closely are going to be surprised by how Miami does against this Bucks team. Well, the regular season should give you some indication. Um, but some people would argue it was so long ago it doesn't really matter. But Miami was was terrific against my them. Milwaukee's a minus six hundred in the series. That's I just think too that's much, too right? high. There's yeah. no home court. And then the other thing with this Miami team is, you know, any game they could hit twenty threes and mess you up. But uh and I and I think Spo versus Coach Bud in a playoff thing. So, you know, it'll be an interesting moment for Giannis too, because there's a version of this series where Giannis just destroys Bam. Everybody talks about, oh, Bam, you know, the, this is the kind of guy you'd want. And Giannis just puts up 35 and 50 in every game. It's like, no, there's, there, it's Middleton. there's no Giannis. It's kryptonite. all about Middleton because, you know, Middleton put up some bigger numbers against Orlando, but oh, I'm not impressed against Orlando. Uh, I'm not impressed Me when neither. the team is up 20 and you start filling it up in the third quarter to put the lead to 28. You know, those are not the minutes where you're, you know, whenever Middleton's another one of our, you know, people just don't give Middleton. A, no, no, because Middleton has moments where we correctly don't give him enough credit. Like where you go, OK, this is why you're not talked about some of those other guys. Giannis is going to get him. They can do whatever they want with Bam. They're going to double the shit. I mean, Spolster's going to try a million different things. Spolster's right there with Nurse. Spolster's right there with, you know, one thing he's going to do all these top guys. So 
he'll try to have Olenek out there when Brook Lopez is out there. Yeah. To, you know, he'll he'll try to stagger matchups so that everything makes the Bucks uncomfortable. It's like, oh, you got Brook Lopez out there. He's going to have to come 25 feet out now. And he's going to have three shooters out there at all times. And point guards just up to stuff. I think the key guy for Milwaukee is Bledsoe. And for two reasons. One, I don't trust him in a playoff series at all. At all. Two, I'll be interested. I think they're the be- they're at their best with George Hill, in my opinion. I just like what he does for them the most. I don't I just don't want too much from my point guard if I'm Milwaukee. Like just steer the steer the ship, play some defense, hit some open threes. That's it. And this is a series where I think Milwaukee is gonna have to be like, hey Bledsoe, if you don't have it, you're out. Like we can't fuck around. We 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 need we need a steady hand, and uh, how he navigates that Bledsoe George Hill thing. I'm more interested in that than Middleton. The other big thing, and I have a message board if I can plug it here. It's Hoops Talk, but it's with a Z. Um, we have a thread going right now. Olinik Giannis draft is this? <laughs> it's this playoff series. Put that one to bed. It's fair. Draft pick. Yeah. How how well does Olenek have to play in that series to, to make up for going right for Giannis? 140 and 12. Per. <laughs> so who are you picking in this series? Milwaukee? I'm going to go ahead and take Milwaukee then. Because I, I was probably more willing to, just for the sake of the pod, I felt like when I was kind of leaning Miami, but I, I might be too much stock into the early regular season games because then in the seeding games, Milwaukee took it to him pretty good. But I guess, wait a minute. I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure Miami wasn't playing anybody. So, uh, Can I ask you who you one. think the Celtics would rather play? I think the Celtics would rather play Milwaukee. I think they would, too. Yeah. I think Miami is their kryptonite team. I don't think they feel that team. way, though. No, I don't know, though. I don't know. If, no, because now I, they say that loud. Can I just say, I, I feel that way. Okay, because I don't think the Celtics feel that way. Here are all the guys who kill them on that team. Olenek. Dragic forever. Because it's personal. It's personal for Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. They gave up on him. Because he was like, are they anti-Canadian? They switched me out for Hayward because he's from the States. A lot of people don't know that. Hero is exactly the type of guy who kills the Celtics. These little crafty scoring guys. I don't guys. think Hero's right enough for Boston, though. Like, when I mean? saw Hero, he's just not... Like, when I saw him introduced on draft night with the chain and his whole setup, I was that like... Too cool? I thought... No, when I saw him drafted and the way he was handling himself, the way he's dressed, I was like, he should go sixth, just on appearance alone. I'm like, look at the way he's wa-. like, no way, this kid's gonna what was crush he, it. What was he like in college? Because as you know, I barely watch college basketball. He was just, he, was, were there uh, signs of this or no? Shooting, yes. And he reminded me, and I have it on my scattering report. I was like the poorest of porous man's clay, where he would reset mm. himself. What that's what I love the most about Hero is that. It's a really simple thing to do, but reset yourself from a shooting position because the defenders always lose track of you, especially in college. But I don't think we saw the playmaking ability um, as consistent. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I watched 30 plus Kentucky games. I would watch my hero stuff, and I really liked him. I did. Do you, by the way, do you think Boston was taking him if they had won the coin toss? A hundred thousand, a hundred thousand percent. Sources, hundred thousand percent. Okay, I like your, I like your confidence. Harrow played 129 minutes in those four games in the Pacer series. It's like 30, 32 minutes a game. He's literally 20 years old. 
It's not like he's like this dude who was like the four-year college guy who came in his age 23. Like he's, a, he's probably one of the youngest guys in the playoffs. He's in a he rotation. carries himself. Like he's, he's DMing the, the Kardashian and Jenner crew being like, what? Like, get on the hero train now. And I have always, always, always liked Dragic. I even liked when they traded the two unprotected first for him. I, I was all in. I've always been in on Dragic. I think when I watch him, I just think like how fucking annoying it would be to guard him. Hey, you know? did you did you see that thing on TNT where they were talking about being hazed and Barkley was saying like Andrew Tony made him bring him a warm glass of milk in the hotel? <laughs> no, I and didn't Barkley, see that. this is unbelievable. This was so good. So Barkley, they started talking about being hazed as rookies for some reason. And Barkley goes, yeah, he's like, I got hazed left and right. They're like, well, what happened? He goes, well, he goes, Andrew Tony used to call me in the middle of the night to get him a warm glass of milk. And they're like, well, where, how would you get it? He goes, I'd have to walk down to room service. Like Charles Barkley, six, five, two, whatever, you know, Charles Barkley going to room service being like, Hey, I need to come down and pick up a glass, warm glass of milk and then hand deliver it to another guy. And Dr. J would make him get, um, a newspaper. He's like, I need a newspaper outside of my hotel room every morning, every time we're on the road. And Shaq's like, Scott Skiles was like, Hey, Rook, grab my bags. And, and Shaq said to Skiles, I'm the franchise. I don't do that. He goes, that was the last time anybody tried. <laughs> That's an hazing died. <laughs> right. But then Shaq mentioned that he goes, I tried to haze. He goes, I hazed everybody. He goes, but the one guy who just wouldn't take any shit was Dragic. And he goes, I really, Dragic was like, Hey, where I'm from, like, you don't get it. Like, well, you can say whatever, but like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not like, you're not going to treat me this way. And Shaq was like, I think they said they went at it in a practice even once. And Shaq was just like, after that, like I had so much respect for that guy that I was just like, Oh, okay. It's a fucking so that, badass. That's remember the, the remember the Vujacic, yeah, right. remember the Vujacic feud, that one playoff series when him and Vujacic were, and they had a whole like background. I think there was some girl involved from way back when, but they were like going at it every, I think he's a friend. neighbor now. I haven't, I haven't run into him yet. I'm in on uh, Dragic. Yeah. Hey, um, I have some good news. CarMax is back on Sunday nights here on the BS podcast. It's America's number one used car retailer. You might remember last year, they hooked up nephew Kyle. They gave him, they gave him great treatment. He ended up buying a car from CarMax. Kyle, is that car still running beautifully? Fast as ever. Street legal? It? Always. Come on. Would you, would you name that car, Kyle? It's Maxine. You know, when what? you, during the COVID pandemic era, when you watch the guys in the convertibles, you know, a lot of people, some people are, have a mask on in their car and then there's some people who are like, fuck it. I'm in convertible. I don't care. I'm living life. That's nephew Kyle right there. Thanks to CarMax. Whether you're buying or selling, our friends at CarMax are on your side. Seven day money back guarantee at CarMax. You've got a full week to decide if it's the right car for you or simply return it for a full refund. No questions asked. And if it's time to sell, stop by CarMax today to get a custom offer on your car. You can leave with payment in hand or take a week, think it over. It's car buying, car selling the way it should be at CarMax. Check them out today at CarMax.com. All right, you don't have kids, so I get to hog parent corner. I'm going to tell a story about one of your favorite people, Ben Simmons, the other Ben Simmons, young Ben Simmons. The reliable Ben Simmons. Reliable, <laughs> good shooter. Uh, all right, so he's he turns 13 in November. Yes. He's been in the same room Good his age. entire life. We were born. He was born in 2007. We were already in the house we're in. He's had the same room the whole time. It was a baby room. Then five years ago, it had bunk beds. And it's just, he has all this stuff. 
One day, about two weeks ago, he, after he was still nursing his latest broken foot, um, he said to us, I'm changing rooms. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm changing rooms and started bringing his stuff from his room to the guest room. And we're like, okay. So he was the guest room furnished already. Guest room had a bed in there and a desk. And it was just kind of like, if like my parents stayed here or something, they would send the guest room. He's like, I'm now taking the guest room. Like, all right. So on one foot, he starts moving stuff. And then finally we feel bad. End up decorating this whole room. I had some music posters. He wanted to have some music and sports posters from my old office that God knows when I'll be back in there. So he, he got the Nirvana poster, the, the big blue one. Um, he got the Metallica poster, the NWA poster. So decorates this whole room, but he has all this Amazon money. You know, he's got probably like $200 in gift certificates from grandparents, gifts like that. So he tells us, hey, I bought some stuff for my room. We're like, cool. What'd you get? Here are the two things my son bought. First thing he bought was a Saturdays or for the boys poster. Yeah. Which is a barstool thing. Yeah. So now he's barstool Ben. So save him, save him a seat. Save him apparently. I'll talk to the guys. He wants he wants to intern there next year. He actually could probably hang at 13. That's how (laughs) that's how intense. Like I'll get I would get texts from like Big Cat being like, hey, we went to bed early, but Ben Ben stayed out. Ben's, Ben's still up. He did. He didn't know where it came from. He just like he's like in the big boys stage right now. His friends like at the boys, and they had a sleepover the other night. And like, the boys were all gonna sleep. So he liked the Saturday for the boys. He had no idea what it was from. So now we've been calling him Barstool Ben. The other thing he bought was a giant flag of McLovin's fake ID from Superbad, and I mean giant. It's like six by six. So if you go, you go, or six by four. So you go in his room now. He didn't put the Saturday. He decided he didn't like the Saturdays are for the boys flag. Got rid of that. I'll see if we get a refund. Big McLovin driver's ID when you walk in. So now he's got McLovin, Nirvana. And then he did this weird thing with blue light, like blue tracking lights. So when you go in, the room's like kind of blue. Is he growing and, weed? <laughs> and then he has in the corner, he's got his guitar and all his music stuff. And then he's got his desk. And he's got the Kevin McHale six foot. I did an Instagram photo of it on my on my story. He's got the Kevin McHale growth chart, one of my favorite items that I gave to him. Six That's foot good. Kevin McHale. Yeah. That's good. That's Keep in track. there. Um, so it really ran into shape. And we're still trying to figure out why he switched rooms. It had its own bathroom. There may be some puberty stuff going on that I, I don't even want to consider. Just keep me out of it. But yeah, so now he's not sharing a bathroom with his sister, which is the big thing. That's all that is. It's just not want to share his bathroom with his sister. Like, it's weird because you go through that phase where, you know, your siblings can become your biggest enemies. Right. You know, and you kind of regret it. I know later on, like, I would do anything for any one of my siblings. But from age like 10 to 13, having a little sister, you know you you just kind of in your own little world and so for him it's his older sister i, I look him not want to share a bathroom that's the whole reason i don't great think he's weed yeah that's great it. move yeah so um so that's what's going on with him and he gets to cast off next week would there ever be a scenario where you would say no and i'm not saying this is even something that you needed to say no the to the guest room sens- thing i'm just sensing that ben kind of has run of the house now we've said no a few times the one who's upset is my dad so my dad's yeah, like, where, where the hell am I going to sleep? And it's like, you know, you get to sleep in Ben's old room with the bunk beds. He's like, what? How did I lose this? What happened? 
So we got to figure that out. Uh, anyway, that's, that's my parent corner. It's, it's an emotional time at our house when my son decided he needed his old room. He'd been in the same room for 13 years. I need, I need a bathroom. I, I ordered a skateboard deck on COD, a Danny Way H Street, when I was 13. And it was cash. Remember cash on delivery? They deliver yeah. the thing to you when you had to have the cash ready. And I thought I was stealing, basically. Like I did the order, ordered it that way. The guy showed up, and my parents were like, What did you just do? And I go, I had 50 bucks and I bought a skateboard deck. And they were like, What? And that, like now that kids can just go, Hey, I, the Amazon stuff coming in, that's mine. Well, just some people. Up. The other one is Postmates, which we do not allow our kids to order Postmates. That is a Pandora's box where you, you have like a 12 year. It's like, hey, I could use a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And then all of a sudden somebody's <laughs> knocking on your door and it's fucking Postmates guy with a $9 even, Postmates order. I didn't even think about that. I oh, know, yeah. Sometimes I'm on my own case because I'll be like, don't Postmates again tonight. Like get in the car, get out. But especially with the games back for us on the West Coast. Like you're, you're up at 10 watching them and the next thing you know, right. it's five o'clock and you go, wait, you know, I, I actually, I can't really leave the house right now, but kids with Postmates. So what do you do on Apple iTunes? Like, what do you do when ordering movies and all that kind of stuff? Like, what do you basically, have to keep track of? I need, I should be writing this down. Basically, Ben's not allowed to do anything. <laughs> he, he had a PlayStation thing, but I ended up removing my PayPal from it because he kept buying these packs on 2K. And then telling me it would be $20. And I'm like, you don't have a job. Yeah. How are you going to pay me back? So I had to shut that down. So my youngest brother is 25 years younger than me. And so when I was about, let's say 35, he was 10. And I had been at ESPN now for like five years. At that point, I'm on with Scott. And one time when I came home, I threw my credit card down on the PlayStation thing. And out of nowhere, I'm like, why do I have, like I had a lead. It was a card I never used. And I got a late fee call and all this stuff. I'm like, what are all these charges? Like, how are there 200 plus dollars of the charges on this card? I never, I don't even know where the card is. And they were like, well, it's PlayStation, PlayStation, PlayStation. And I went, oh man. And so, you know, cause he was 10 yeah. and again, it's not my kid. So I'm going to handle it differently being my little brother. And I know him and he's, he's a sweetheart of a kid. So I didn't want to be mad about it and be mean to him. But I called my mother. I'm like, what the fuck? What is going on here? Like he can't just, did he just think that was cool? She calls me back and he said, he said because you were on TV, he thought you were rich and you could take care of it. Good instincts. I like it. He's a hustler. Yeah. He was like, what is, what's he bitching about? He's on TV. There's this new video game that they're out playing. Fortnite is out. In case you're keeping track, Fortnite is now not cool anymore. It's not that even cool about, anymore. That ended about six weeks ago. Fortnite, for the most part, now not cool. There's this new game, and I can't remember the name of it, but it almost looks like Super Mario Brothers crossed with like some futuristic world where you're trying to advance. And Kyle, do you know the name of this game? Kid Icarus? Uh, I Kyle. also know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name. Okay. Well, th wow. it's this new game. And ben, and ben saying it's all the rage. This is going to take over. So keep your eye out for that. I have a huge problem. And then, what? Where, where? What bathroom do I use now? Um, oh, that was Kyle's problem. bathroom. This is a huge problem. I'm yeah, that's tough. I'm still going to use yeah, I think you could still use it. That was where Kai used to sneak off to, the room Ben took. Sorry, yeah, I, I think, broke I the news too earlier. I think Ben's probably just going to lose on that transaction, Kyle, because you guys are close enough. I see how you interact with each other. I think Ben expects you to use it, even though he's going to hate it. The other big thing with um, that happened for Ben was Madden came out. And it, it actually got delayed, though, didn't it? No, it's out. He was, he was playing it this week. 
Oh. Um, just a little weird. First time in 20 years, no Brady in the Pats. Hurts. Hurtful. So you're going to trade for him? Put him back on? No. I'm excited for Cam. We're, we're all excited for Matt and Cam on our team. Um, all right. That's it for... Uh, that's it for Parent Corner. It's fun to have Parent Corner back. Don't forget, whether you're buying or selling, our friends at CarMax are on your side. Check out CarMax today at CarMax.com. Any last last thoughts? Any last words? No, I think I might just make up kids, though, for Parent Corner to fit in. Are you okay with that in the future? You you can. Or you could get maybe... Uh, Maybe emails from readers. Maybe you could take a reader's kid story, or I could just give you extra Ben stories, whatever we have to do. I love the Ben stories. I'm actually thinking of ordering stuff that you don't want in the house and sending it to Ben. <laughs> well, <laughs> the McLovin flag, like, how does that even exist? Why is there a flag with Why McLovin's is there a flag? fake ID? Yeah. How well do those sell? Did you check the reviews on it? How ahead did he of time? find it? There's just so many questions. Um, all right, so here. Next week, just so you guys know, we are going to be publishing this podcast, me and Rosillo, on Monday night, not Sunday night. So Labor Day, Monday night, which should be a fascinating one because that's going to be coming off Celts Raps, Game 5, and then uh, at least whatever the good Game 4 of the West Series is. So that'll be a fun one. So we're coming back then, but you'll be doing two podcasts this week on your feed and then same schedule next week, right? Anything else to cover? Yeah, Chris Long will be on with me this week. Um, oh. we'll, we'll actually just talk some football. It'd be nice to do that. And then um, the funny thing is I have a couple GMs scheduled, but depending on how the series went, I didn't want to put them in a bad spot and then have them come on and then have the, the you know, like, hey, your team just got eliminated. So let's talk uh, <laughs> let's right. talk about your rotation. So we have a couple GMs uh, that are definitely coming on here soon, but we'll figure it out. Ryan Russell podcast. I did all my fantasy football homework this week. I held it off this weekend. I held it off as long as I possibly could. But now it really seems like the uh, the season's coming back. So I'm excited for that. I have a question for you. Go ahead. Is it wrong to think Kyler Murray is going to be the third best fantasy QB this year? I got to, like, everybody loves him. Okay. When Vic came on with me, Vic was like, that's, I my heard guy. that. Vic he said was that was like his, like, doppelganger. Yeah. But he, he was saying stuff, though, that I think was real quarterbacky, where, he was basically saying to like us laymen that can't understand it, that he was seeing stuff with Kyler Murray that was like, okay. And there have been other people throughout the off season of, of kind of just, you know, talking to different people. And again, these are guys that played or whatever, or involved with the league that Murray is, and I don't want to turn this into Baker Mayfield too. Cause I think that was Cleveland. That was a Cleveland thing. They won a bunch and of games. At the end of the year. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And they, they added Beckham. No, but I'm talking about like the hype for Cleveland. Oh, gotcha. The hype for Cleveland wasn't just Baker. It was the whole thing. It was the offseason acquisitions. It was the fact they beat all those bad teams in the second half of the year that we should have paid more attention to. But this, specifically the conversation around Kyler Murray, has been incredibly, uh, well, I would say people are incredibly impressed by him. When going back, mm. looking at the tape okay. and seeing what they saw from him. So I think the answer is yes for you. And then the other crazy. thing we should probably announce is when football does come back, Sal is going to be here on Sundays. Oh, you, you are? Okay, I didn't know that. All right. Yeah, South Sundays, and That's we're awesome. mo we're moving to Thursdays through the I basketball. I knew we were going to. I knew we were going to Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So Sal's on Sundays, and you can check out Sal if you missed him at uh, at his Extra Points podcast. But you and I are going to be going Thursdays, and there could be some historic Thursdays in the mix for us because we're going to have Thursday night football. But then 
you know, conference finals and finals in the NBA. And then I think there's that the NBA draft is going to be on a Thursday too. So it'll be a nice little wrinkle. So then you'll stay through, uh, through in basketball for probably first week of free agency. And then we'll go back to you going three a week until the next basketball season. Yep. And who knows when that next basketball season is? No kidding. I mean, they're already pushing it back. They're already basically telling us by not confirming it that they're going to want to give these guys a break because this is, uh, despite the accommodations and the NBA looking to try to do whatever they could. Like Seth Curry, when he came on, I go, what was your first impression? He's like, the NBA is loaded because the amount of stuff that they're doing for us to making sure like this is as easy as possible. But Silver has basically without confirming is letting us know with his comments that the six week turnaround thing, he's like, we can't, we can't even, I don't think he wants to do that to these guys. What I've heard is they're, they're thinking about this three bubble thing with 20 game, 20 game kind of segments. So 10 teams go to a bubble, they play 20 games. Everybody goes home for two weeks, reset, come back because then that gives them the flexibility that if fans can come back, then you're only confined to that bubble for these little stretches and then you can open it up. And so I, they're thinking about all that stuff right now. And I think everything's on the table, but I, I don't think it happens for February. I mean, we're definitely mid January, maybe, I don't know, but I, I just don't think they're gonna be able to figure it out. And they really need the fans to come back. It's a shitload of money at stake. And, and if everybody's betting on, all right, vaccine by February, March range, and this feels relatively safe. Like they're going to want to have the fans in. So who knows? Yeah. We had college football on Friday night. We had high school football too. I was watching some high school. Yeah. It's funny. They cut to, they cut to the stands. Some people are in mass and then some people just start. But then it's weird because then I'll, I'll look in and I was, you know, maybe it's just the sec, but I was looking at my schedule and I'm going, okay, am I going to book? You know, I haven't missed Alabama LSU since 2000. My first game was 2008. I don't, I don't miss those games. And uh, I was looking into it. And then the LSU people were like, well, yeah, just come on down. <laughs> I go, well, what, what does that mean? Like, again, they're not going to put me, you know, my normal setup would be uh, I don't know, all access, but I'm not, I don't deserve that you, now. And I'm not going to get you know, it. a glass suite. It's just a bubble outside, a ham cool. radio. SE fan in the plastic bubble. All right, Rosillo, we'll see you uh, Monday night, eight days from now. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, thanks to Spotify. Don't forget to listen to your podcasts on Spotify. Best podcast listening experience around. Don't forget, new rewatchables. Monday night, we're doing Cocktail. It's a very special episode, the greatest bad movie of all time. Then Wednesday is going to be Higher Learning. And if you love The Wire, I went on... Way down in the hole of the wire. That's going to be out on Monday with Van Lathan and Jamel Hill to break down the iconic Stringer. Might be his last episode episode. I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, that's what we talked about. So check out all that back on this podcast with two more later in the week. See you then. <laughs>